Hey there, Raven Granger Evans Varus. This is Eniash. Hey, Eniash, this is Steven. Steven, you have four names today, which is two more than most people need. What's going on? Well, and it's two more than apparently Zencaster can handle. It's grotesquely abbreviated because it won't take more than 30 characters. Um, so I, I feel like it's straightforward. We've got Raven, who's basically was apparently Uther's Hermione and uh, Varys Evans, the library obsession book stuff. Yeah. I couldn't it, think of it, the name of any evil houses. <clears throat> so Yeah, they usually don't have names, do they? No, not a, no, there aren't enough named houses. You know, that group needs representation, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, good, good choice for name. Uh, we are here recording Not Everything is a Clue, which is a podcast where we read and analyze Worth of the Candle by Alexander Wales. Took the words right out of my mouth. I did. I stole your usual thing. That's great. Don't sweat it. I'll steal your usual thing and awkwardly tell everybody that we have a patron account where people can send us money to support the project that we do doing this. We send 15% to Alexander Wales, who worked hard making this story and is still writing. I think he probably took a lunch break and then right, went right into his next work. Um, <laughs> he started writing it before this one was finished. Oh, the I don't first few chapters came out uh, at the same time as the epilogue. I, w- I mean, he's the, you know, it's his call. He's the genius. But like, I would have spaced it out just to give myself like room to breathe. Mm. Like I'd have scheduled the releases out for like, you know, every three days for the next week or something. Right. I don't know. Breathing room can really cut into your fan base, I've heard. No, but as long as they're coming out at regular intervals. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Apparently, like, if you're a Twitch streamer, you can't take any days off because as soon as you take one day off, everyone's like, oh, let's go see who's streaming this other thing. And then you're screwed. That's why we never miss an episode here at Not Everything is a Clue. Um, Have we not missed an episode yet? Not yet. Awesome. We rock. Yeah. Well. Well. Do you want to dive right in to the, uh, from the audience? Yeah. Now that we're done patting ourselves on the back, let's see what (laughs) our awesome audience has to say about us. Uh, Steven and Ninyash, you guys suck. I can't believe you waste so much time doing this podcast. Wow. All right. Well, that's what the audience thinks. Yeah. I I don't know why they waste so much time listening to it then. Why would we put that in the show notes? (laughs) (laughs) The first thing we have is from Nightspacer on the Discord. Uh, which is also linked on our website, hpmorpodcast.com. Ahem, Nightspacer says, uh, there are things the library cannot account for, the big ones being itself and the exclusions. It would fit with that, that Juniper would have died in Silmar without the level up, but the level up is unaccountable because it, because it is unlike anything else in Erb, perhaps the Amphiot. So that would explain why the library thinks the world just stops and then he levels and the library gives a future, a regular future again. I loved that explanation. And I think it answers another question I came across in this reading where he talks about how he has access to two excluded magics. Mm-hmm. And we know one of them is summoning magic hot or summoning hot dogs. Yeah. And is the other one leveling up and like healing all of his wounds? I don't think. No, I don't think that's even a magic. I, I thought about that for a while. And the only thing I could think of was the um, gestalting. He started out the game with two skills gestalted into deception oh yeah that is interesting i wonder if there'll ever be an explanation for that or if it was just like a weird quirk of you know rolling a default character sheet um Mm -hmm. that hadn't been updated since the last time yeah still that's fun okay now at least i have an understanding of what the second one was but i still like the explanation you know whatever uh, excluded or not leveling up is probably not the kind of thing that is described in any book on Arab, right right yeah or wait not described in any book in the library and yeah, you know, not taken into account by by the library's whatever 
seeing future abilities, whatever the heck it does. Yeah, I, I don't quite know. I don't think it sees the future. I think that it just gets a, you know, sampling of the books from, or rather all of the books from forever, right? And yeah, so, yeah. like, it's just the books that happen to have been written in any particular future. But maybe you're not allowed to write about, I don't know if exclusions were out, because uh, especially in this one, she says, Raven says something about we need the stuff on Felseed, but... Uh, well, it's not that exclusions are out. It's that it there's never anything in the history about new exclusions happening, even though new exclusions do sometimes happen. So apparently oh, the library that's just, right. Yeah. Yeah. Excluded exclusion zones and exclusions themselves or yeah, excluded exclusion zones and excluded peoples and magic or whatever can be written about, but you can't write about the next exclusion. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So oh, yeah, yeah, that was a really insightful thing. I had to pull that out. Yeah, that was great. Um, I had one too. Uh, there was apparent, I, I think some, after the explanation was given to me, some understandable mis- misunderstanding of, uh, part of our heated debate last week, um, where I pointed out that Maddie was, well, it, let's not dive into the, you know, let's not kick up the, the dust on it. But the, yeah. the short version is, is that it sounded like, I think plausibly that I, I had said that autistic people or people on the autism spectrum can't consent to sex or other adulty things. And, that's not what I meant to convey, which, and I don't, I also don't believe that. Um, Excaliburn, sick name, by the way, wrote an awesome uh, and thoughtful couple paragraphs explaining that and like the kind of history behind these sort of assumptions. Totally worth reading and very valuable. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. And for, for giving us the opportunity to clear the record, because, yeah, that is not what Stephen had meant. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> And then finally, uh, Sharer on the Discord uh, asked if we've discussed the possibility that the differences between June's and Arthur's playthroughs are due to differences in their own views on games and storytelling. Like maybe Arthur's version was more driven by strict narrative structure because that's what Arthur himself would do or want out of a campaign. Oh, yeah. I think I put this one on the notes, too. Um, Yes. Yeah, this was a cool thought. And I think that we it's funny. um, I think my reply in the Discord was like, we've talked about this that it's almost like we talked around it but without mm-hmm. looking at it straight on and that's a really like i don't think we've put i don't think i put it that way at least not in my head and i feel like that's dead on and arthur did pick like god of endless stories or whatever for one of those campaigns yeah um and i think that the the kind of view that they take on storytelling probably had a huge impact right not just like Mm -hmm. the dm thought arthur would be a better person to keep throwing shit at but arthur himself that's how thought that's how stories worked yeah and like in any good role-playing group like the dm and the players work together like the dm sees what the players want and what they do and works with them to tell a story it's not just it's not like writing a book where you have complete authorial fiat over everything so if 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 arthur had wanted or expected something different that probably could have been a different style of of playthrough maybe that's what he did to finally break the loop yeah well before we figure out what he did in the future i was trying to think of a way to tie this into remnants of the past <laughs> but something he did in the past is a, a remnant of something insert brilliant sounding cool. segue that was that was a train wreck yeah well it's <laughs> that's it stays in that's right um all right chapter 125 remnants of the past yes pretend that transition was smooth it so, was i have many uh, <laughs> imagination powers this this can cover that one as well perfect thank you for that brilliant transition Stephen. thanks man yeah one of my best yeah anyway palada and company show up via spaceship and 
June gives them the, the down low on his psychopathic companion who's prone to violent outbursts. Hmm. And uh, apparently the like quick backstory on Palada, which she insisted on delivering to give context for whatever something Raven was going to say, which never actually came up, was that Palada was an expert thief who tried to thief the wrong person, Uther. And in her defense, he had a ton of loot because he, of course he did because he's a player character and then had to work for him for at least a couple of lifetimes. Yes. And also rather at least one. She said she sought him out again after she got like old enough. Yeah. And also part of that whole backstory was that she had a relationship with Dahlia uh, after she came back as Helio, but like she knew it was Dahlia and so forth. So they, they had a thing going on, which she wanted to put out there in case Raven brought it up. Yeah, it's surprising. I don't quite get Arthur's reaction to that, but we'll get there when we get there. So, mm-hmm. um, oh yeah. So June's out there explaining about Bethel to everybody, and I had to grab this quote because we talked about power hierarchies last week, where Amaryllis was against June going out there alone, mm-hmm. but he had argued that Raven was a special case and unlikely to be repeated. Um, with how Bethel responded to Raven and stuff. And it says, and Amaryllis didn't really have a choice but to relent, which sounds like a proper, like that, you know, if there's a chain of command, I want my underlings to argue with me if they think I'm wrong and then relent if I either put my foot down or if I'm actually right, you know? Okay, I see what you're saying. I kind of took it the other way, that almost like they had a a, a clash of what they wanted to do, but Amaryllis ultimately doesn't have the, the ultimate power because June can do whatever the fuck he wants and she just has to go along with it or leave and so she went along with it but it didn't it doesn't feel to me like they have a stable hierarchy worked out just more of a well i guess i have to do this if i want to stay on on the team thing yeah that's that's stable kind (laughs) of all right the the line was she didn't have any choice but to relent but she did she could have insisted on coming along herself or something right uh not really well i mean she could have insisted but that wouldn't have mattered if june just didn't take her to go what walk outside how's he gonna stop her um i think that she said okay fine boss i'll sit down you know yeah no that's a good point i guess i guess she could have just walked out with him regardless i'll keep my eyes peeled for uh hierarchy or dominance hierarchy stuff (laughs) yeah all right Uh, it's i i don't know maybe i'm just more sensitive to that kind of thing no i think you're right maybe this isn't the best example so i'll have to keep my eyes peeled it was certainly an example though yeah small yeah uh palada and june are talking and palada speaking about her her own past says i was reborn suffered through a childhood with a mother that detested me for not being the human daughter she'd wanted then ran away at five years old to go find uther again and that like it was just one line kind of dropped in there but it really got at me because like imagine being married getting ready to have a kid expecting you know you're gonna have this great life uh raising a child or whatever and then you find out that you aren't giving birth to your kid you're giving birth to some freaking pink bubblegum renum person who is not related to you and has their own weird memories going back thousands of years (laughs) and like everything you went through over the last nine months plus however long preparing for this and getting emotionally ready for it is just all been for nothing it it feels like a real bummer yeah it's amazing it does it does two things for me one it explains satisfactorily why there's not that many Renesim mm-hmm. because if they just bred and had more kids, then they'd be all over if they live forever. Right. Right. Um, maybe they can't have kids. Um, but at the very least, no, when they die, they just, they, 
they just hijack some poor other fetus and yeah. <laughs> and pop out of that. So um, that explains why they're not the dominant species on the planet. And yeah, it's, you know, it'd be nice if it was like a custom thing, whatever. If you get a renaissance child, you'd be nice to it till it's old enough to go off and live its own life again. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Like it, it won't relate to you, right? Yeah. Um, it's going to be aware from the moment that it can form thoughts that, oh yeah, great. I'm... 30,000 years old and you guys are just my birth, my, my birth givers Yeah, <laughs> for this for round. The food. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for the food and shelter for the last few years. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I, and, yeah. And just in passing, they've got like convoluted uh, kind of like, I don't know, ways to dodge uh, uh, kind of like people do now with inheritance tax and stuff, but mm. um, you know, ways to, to store their money on an offshore uh, investment account so they can go retrieve it when they're like old enough to go chase their money again. Yeah. And she also said that like at the time the cooperatives weren't really a thing yet, which like the whole thing, the story of her repeated rebirths and uh, the cooperatives of Renison, like helping find each other when they're young and setting them up with resources and stuff. It reminded me a lot of the first 15 lives of Harry August, which is just a freaking amazing book and is the same kind of concept, except the time um, timeline also resets. So he's always born in the same year, but he, he keeps remembering all his past lives. And it's, it is really fantastic. I'm, I'm really curious if, uh, if Wales was influenced by that at all, because that, that would just be a cool ass character to, to play. I will have, have to have. I'll have to read that. It's yeah, it's great. It's one of the, my top um, books that I read in 2020, 2019. I don't know. It was fantastic though. Well, I'm opening a tab, so I never forget. Awesome. All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, I mean, the the quote here is less important than the question I had that was generated from it. But basically, um, Pallet is talking about how Uther, you know, utilized her skill set, right? Mm-hmm. And Gemma, who's never even met Uther, was like, that's how he saw people as tools. And he waited for me to come back into usefulness. Yeah, which, I mean, is the polite thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she went to go find him probably cause it was fun to hang out with, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, so real question, I, I feel like all of Uther's reported misdeeds are completely forgivable if he was under the impression that these people were all mindless NPCs. So that, that wasn't a question. I guess that was me stating question. Mark. Yeah. Do you think yeah. that's, that's the case? <laughs> um, more, I mean, yes, because like I wouldn't ever give anyone shit for, like going on a on a Westworld rampage through Fallout Four or or Red Dead Redemption or whatever, like it's a computer game. Do what you want; it doesn't matter. But also, like you you can't interact with those characters on the same level you can interact with people on Arab. Like if I had been in in June's shoes and I had known these companions for all these months and had these deep relationships with them and talks and saw their emotions, and then was like, yeah, but they're not really people. I can just kill one, and it doesn't matter. Like, I would feel, I would feel weird. And also like, I should be hesitant and maybe, maybe not be quite so sure in my estimation of their having a conscious experience because it it seems like a leap to go straight to their NPCs and they don't matter if you've had this deep of a, uh, of relationship with them. Unless like maybe in his time, there wasn't as much RAM for the computer simulation or whatever. And the people were all like, welcome to Corneria whenever he mm-hmm. talked to them. 
Yeah, if they had cash lines, every third guard was, you know, telling the story about it. They used to be an adventurer or something, right? <laughs> they took but, an arrow to the knee. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I don't know if it was that low res or if he had some other insight, but I, I think that he had more evidence than June has that this place is a simulation. But of course, being a simulation doesn't mean that they don't matter. Um, I, I wonder what it is that made him think that these people are pea zombies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you know, Westworld, I only saw the TV show, but mm. I'm assuming it was somewhat, it's accurate enough for my point, but like, I, I think there only was a TV show. Like there wasn't a book or anything. Oh, there, I think there was an old movie. Yeah. But the old movie I think was barely even related. Okay. Yeah. It was, I just, I just knew it had something that it, whatever. It I, I never saw of. it. Yeah. But yeah. I never saw it myself, but I think it was just an excuse to do gunslinging with robots. Right on. Yeah. So the, the, the premise is that you get to go through an old West simulation that's as high res as you want. And Mm -hmm. if you want to go play a bad, bad guy, go nuts. And I'm not sure what the cost is. It's for, you know, fun theme park for rich people. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing is, you know, Uther didn't run around even West worlding his way through air, right? He still went through trying to right wrongs and make people, you know, save the world and stuff. Yeah. So it, he, he, like the thing is if if we had a West world, you know, in the middle of Wyoming where it belongs, cause it's perfect old West desert out there. Um, okay. the, I, I, I wouldn't go, I would feel really weird, not because I would feel like I'm hurting people because I, even if I had every belief that I wasn't just cause I wouldn't want to be the kind of person that would enjoy raping somebody and then stabbing them in the face. You know, well, like, I mean, you could also play a white hat who's shooting all the bad people that are trying to do that. So I, I that might be fun, but the, I don't know. I, I would feel, cause I know that there's some magic involved where you can't shoot other player characters in Westworld. Uh, yeah. like the bullets don't work on them, something, something, yeah. uh, you know, so I don't know how exactly I'd feel about, you know, not being able to actually stop them. And it, it's not even that I have a problem with them doing it. Right. It's mm-hmm. just that I wouldn't want to be the kind of person that would enjoy doing those bad things. Yeah. So like pretending to stop people from doing something. I don't know. It just, anyway, I bring all that up because that's not really what Luther's up to. He's still trying to help these people. He just doesn't think they're real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I, speaking of him having problems with stuff, this is actually a good mm-hmm. segue. I don't get what his problem was with Palada and Dahlia hooking up. Um, it's unclear if the belt of gender swapping or whatever was part of his issue mm-hmm. or if he actually really had any anger at all. And it wasn't just to set up for the best pun ever. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, I mean, I, the, the, the pun uh, was a way to diffuse the tension and be like, okay, fine, this is over and uh, we're all still friends. I think he was actually really angry because his daughter was in a sexual relationship and some people think that people um, aren't allowed to be in sexual relationships before a certain age. And I think she was only like 14, 15 at the time. And so that was why he was upset and he was just coming up with every single possible thing he could throw at it and at that time it sounds like homosexuality was illegal on arab or something so he threw that at them too i can't remember they mentioned about this the legality of it i don't know if uther would have cared about that but yeah he would be the kind of guy who would bring up any argument he could to bolster his position right yeah yeah he has all these soldiers on his side regardless of how he feels about them if they can be deployed in an argument he's going to deploy them yeah, he had fun just pulling philosophy out of his ass to back himself up. I don't know. You know, that's the thing is if I didn't feel like my, you know, NPC family was real, then I wouldn't care what they're up to. So he, at the, the thing is, is at some point he was disenchanted along the way. And that was he basically said as much during his little tape recording to June. Yeah, he was taken in by it for a while. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's I mean, 
and I can't remember how old uh, Dahlia was. I feel like she was old enough to do stuff. But then again, you know, just to wave a hand at last week's conversation, Palada has some seniority on him with regards to age at a gap that most people would find creepy. Uh, right. So, you know, even if you think that, you know, your 15 year old daughter is, is, you know, whatever adult enough to, to be DTF and be cool with it. Do you really want her hooking up with a 90 year old? Like, mm. <laughs> or, or, you know, 30,000 yeah. year old or whatever. Exactly. I was just trying to think of a human equivalent, but there really isn't one. Cause, uh, Palada's got a young meat suit. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, best pun ever. He's like, do you have any idea how much trouble you're in or like what the crime is for the, you know, how, how serious yeah. this crime is? Yeah. And she's like, what, what crime? Oh, I'll let you deliver it, Inyash. Oh, really? You're going to make me say it? <laughs> yeah. He says, male fraud. Yeah. Because male, like, <laughs> like the opposite of female. And my one only reaction to this was the look of disapproval emoji. My comment was, all is forgiven forever, Uther. Fell nope. away for another, th- for another thousand years, if you want. Oh my 10 God. out of 10 pun, would endorse for title of best king ever. I am not surprised. <laughs> I mean, it was funny. It was I, it was I, a I, good way to break the tension, I guess. And I did talk that up mainly just because of our of our feud about puns. But I thought yeah. it, I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, it, it was a good joke. And you're right; it also you know, in in the service of being a good joke, diffused tension and all that stuff too. But um, I thought I thought it was great. Male fry. <laughs> <laughs> you you want to know something that has really been bugging me the past few weeks? Oh boy, I. I did not like in general see puns for the most part. Like there was something there was some kind of talk about firearms or something and you said like so you went ahead and pulled the trigger on that at some point oh, and yeah. I was like yeah yeah and like it wasn't until you pointed it out to me that that was a pun cuz we were talking about firearms and there's trigger and pull and I was like oh ha okay I see. Um and over the past month or so I've actually been seeing puns in places and it's really <laughs> fucking annoying that you have gotten into my head and i'm making these dumb connections and i almost feel like pointing them out like haha that could be a pun and then i'm like oh my god i have i i may be living to see myself become the villain and the thing is it's not even funny it's just like i i feel like i want to point it out so other people can appreciate that i've seen the pun or something and that's stupid and i want to bury that part of me i i endorse that part of myself because i have the same impulse you know like we went to the van gogh exhibit yeah, Van Gogh sounds like the word "go," and everywhere mm-hmm. that they had an opportunity to use the word "go," they did. And they spelled it Van Gogh, right? Yeah, yeah. So no go, and there's like a sign about you know don't go this way. Yeah, and that's funny. It's wordplay. It's it's an easy joke. I, I thought it was fun. That was um, all right. Yeah, you know it for for whatever it's worth. You know, and this is just you know not even like us playing up the the feud of it. Like if you have an inclination to think something's fun and enjoyable, that's harmless. You know, just do it. You know, if, it, if it's stupid, a lot, every, you know, most puns are stupid. Mail fraud is the like, it's <laughs> clever and stupid at the same time. But, you know, anywhere you can get a laugh and get some enjoyment, you know, capitalize on that. I just, but I don't think it's funny. I don't get enjoyment out of it. I, I just saw this dumb connection like, oh, this word sounds like this other word. And I was like, why did you even bring that up, brain? <laughs> Couldn't you oh, be man. using those brain cycles for something else? Oh, so it's less about like you're you're finding little things funny and more like you're Harry who can't stop seeing you know rave or hufflepuff bones everywhere yeah you, you don't you don't want your brain to work this way yeah well hopefully you know you find enough funny ones where you can 
just chuckle a couple times a week at some random dumb shit. You, you know, bumper stickers very often have wordplay on them or something, right? But I so, guess, but yeah. that being, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, let's, let's you, move on to <laughs> any opportunity you get for like an innocent laugh. You know, I, I endorse it. Not just you, but everybody. And by I, innocent, I mean like not laughing at someone else's, you know, pain or something, but yeah, I agree completely. I just think that puns are laughing at somebody else's pain. So I do not endorse those specifically yours. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, moving onwards, uh, they're talking about Uther and his disappearance. And June says, I have reason to believe I can find and recover him. Uh, at the very least, I should be able to ask him some questions and get some answers. And then he thinks to himself, the text of the quest was a bit vague, but I was pretty sure that I wouldn't get to the end and have it say, oh, actually, he died 500 years ago and his soul is completely beyond recovery. Sorry. Then again, the game had erased all traces of Fen with her companion quest disappearing completely from the logs. Uh, so I agree with June that it would be very unsatisfying if uh, that were to happen. You get to the end and ah, ha ha, your princess is in another castle, except you can never <laughs> get to the castle by the end. Uh, so I don't think that'll happen. But like now that he's brought it up that I... That he he thinks at the very least he should be able to ask him some questions and get some answers. Is it possible that like he won't be able to fully pull Uther back from where he ever he is, get him out of uh, out of his mirror of Arisad or or this parallel dimension, and all he can do is like talk with him, and then they have to go their separate ways, as opposed to actually bringing him back into Erb and having the story completed here. That's a good like, point. Yeah, yeah. I. If it did, if, if the story ended without him ever talking to a sentient Arthur and, you know, not getting just tape recordings or something, I'd be annoyed, right? But yeah, mm -hmm. what if it is on, you know, where they're across planes, but they can see each other and talk, right? Yeah. Uh, that would be a bummer. I, I, I could see it ending that way, uh, but not by, not by like lack of choice. If it does end that way, it'll be because Arthur wanted it to end that way. Okay. Um, I mean, I've got to think he's powerful enough to do whatever he wants. You know, June's nowhere near that level. And frankly, unless we get like a time skip of, of 10 years, he's not going to be close to Uther level. I think I spelled that out long, in a longer comment later on. But um, and there was I, I forgot to put this in the show notes, but there was a line where he said something about at the very least confront him or yeah. something like that. And that's that's a that's a distance away from like be reunited with my friend. Um it is, yeah. It's that 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 bummed me out considerably, actually, because you know, confront. I it, if if Arthur did bad stuff here, which it sounds like he probably did, I think he did it because he was under a misunderstanding about the nature of his reality. Yeah, you know, like if if one of my friends, you know, had a had a traumatic brain injury and believed that everyone was NPCs and went on a murder rampage, I wouldn't confront them about. Oh, you've you've done such a wrong thing. I hope you learned from your lesson. I would right. feel terrible for them that their that their connection to humanity is broken, right? Maybe part of his confrontation would be like asking, "Why did you do this thing? Did you think they're all NPCs or something?" And if what he, I think I I anticipate that's going to be, if not question one, one of the top couple of questions that they get around to. And I am excited to see if Arthur's answer will be, "Yeah, watch." And he waves his hand and like gets one of the NPCs to go on a loop, right? Oh. And he's just like, yeah, I figured that shit out like 10 years in. You yeah. Know? So if, if he's got some way to clearly demonstrate it, that'd be intense. Oh, man, that'd be brutal. I don't know if he'd be able to quite do that because then he could take down any threat easily too, maybe. So something like that. I don't know. 
Well, maybe that's why he left in the end. He was like, there's no more threats worth worrying about and no people to talk to. Man. Yeah. Well, mm. uh, speaking of Uther being alone, um, <laughs> Raven says that uh, if we if they bring more people into the library, they get a less clear picture of the future. Mm-hmm. And she says, Uther always went alone. And June says, I'm not Uther. I don't have knights. I have companions. I listen to their advice and I don't keep secrets from them. Uther never told you that he was dream skewered either. His way of doing things isn't going to be mine. Yeah. And uh, then like the next thing, she because uh, I've got a comment for that, but then she says, well, his way of doing things save the world a few dozen times over. That's not an exaggeration. And June says, yeah, I'll have to talk to him about that. <laughs> and just the whole thing that he says here, you know, June you know, Uther's this this god king of history. You know, everyone knows his name. And he's the guy, yeah, his way of doing stuff, I'm not going to do it that way. Like, and if anyone else said that, it would just be like the most egregious hubris imaginable. Mm. And, you know, June, but no, that's that's the case. You know, this was clear from the beginning too. He went five whole minutes without spilling the beans about, you know, being from Earth and stuff, whereas Arthur never told anybody. Yeah. Um, and I, I liked hearing him say that his companions weren't like, no, they're not my, they're not my, whatever my minions, my knights, they're, they're my companions, they're friends. You know, I, I'm taking them seriously. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I'm not going to be their, you know, their dictator like it was to you guys. I wonder, like you can still be friends with your knights, even if you have a level of remove from them. Can't you? I don't know. Maybe you can't. Yeah. I realized as I was making that point that I was putting some words in Arthur's actions, I guess that yeah. aren't necessarily warranted. Like, you know, he clearly talked with his companion with his with his knights. Um, mm-hmm. I think the difference, though, is that he was their king, right? Yeah. Maybe yeah. June is never gonna doesn't have any ambition to be a ruler, right? And he's like, no, I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna be Joe Everyman, except I'm gonna be a god at the same time. Yeah, it's I don't know, it's weird. It can do. It always makes the relationship a little dip, bit different, I guess. And I speak only from like the most non-important casual stupid example in the world but when the when world of warcraft classic launched i wanted to raid on certain days and no guilds were raiding on those days so i just created my own guild and i was like yeah we're just gonna be a group of people who all raid together and we'll be friends and it'll be great and that that doesn't quite work out because since you are the guild leader and sometimes you have to make decisions like the people just treat you differently and i you know i'll never be It'll never be quite the same experience as as the people in my guild who aren't the guild leader have with each other. It's 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 weird, and I try to be you know friendly for the most part. I am there's there's quite a few people in there that I'm very friendly with, but there's there's always just that little bit thing. A couple times you have to boss people around, yeah. yeah. Like if you want to get this shit done, I'm playing an online game recently for the first time in years. Um, uh, back for oh, blood. Ba- back for blood. Yeah, the yeah. Su- the spiritual successor to Left for Dead, which many mm-hmm. of us remember from. 10 15 years ago and it's been that long yeah what yeah. what i noticed last night because that's the first time i checked is that left or dead had an option where you could go to like the pause menu select a character and vote to kick them and if mm-hmm. everyone on the team voted to kick them they'd be kicked mm-hmm. back for blood has no such option oh, and so really? i i only looked for it because last night some dipshit kept running ahead and going down and putting the team at risk and yeah. He's like, no, man, don't worry about it. You know, I'm just having fun. You know, you can just let me, you know, leave me here. It's like, no, we actually need all four of us to cooperate or we're all going to die. Like, what the hell yeah. are you doing? Yeah. And 
So if we would have rather had a robot on our team than this guy, but we couldn't kick him. <laughs> oh man, what a, that's a terrible oversight. Yeah, Especially we got through sometimes it. people are just griefing, you know? Yeah. So I think that there's got to be some way, like you can't block characters, you know, if, if they keep taking me down with friendly fire or something. I imagine that in the update, they'll probably add something like that. I hope so. Yeah. Because I think an update's got to be forthcoming. There's some stuff that they could work on, real like real easy fixes. But we'll save that for another day. Um, yeah. We touched on the exclusion stuff earlier, but this was funny. Um, June says that he broke the exclusion principle twice, both times minor. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The, discul- the gestalting was super minor, too. Okay, yeah, that helps. Because the leveling up isn't very minor. Um, if, it yeah. was a, if it was an exclusion-breaking thing. And right. the hot dog, <laughs> you know, they don't know it's just hot dogs, but um, <laughs> it's super minor. And she says, Raven just looks at her, looks back at him, just, you know, mouth agape. And how did you, how'd you break the exclusion principle? Oh, I was misinformed. See, I thought the exclusionary principle was more of a guideline than a rule. And no one corrected me until it was too late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and no one laughed. But Ben would have <laughs> loved that. And I, right. I think, A, he's right. I laughed. And it made me think of Captain Barbosa. Cool. Yeah, Same, the, yeah. The pirates code. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I understand. It's more of a more of a guideline. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. It was a rule. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. yeah. Funny beat. And it sad. was yeah, it was good. And right, yeah, it was it was both. But um, speaking about exclusion zones, uh, Raven is worried about the concept of an exclusion zone being broken. That uh, the containment around exclusion zones apparently can be breached or something, uh, which has led to a world-ending thing that they saw in the library at least once. And she comments that uh, you could break conclu- uh, you could break containment on the exclusion zone, uh, like you apparently can because you've done it twice. And you want to go face to face with Felseed, and it it didn't seem that his like gestalting and his hot dogs were a big deal at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but when she puts it like you know you can break containment of exclusion zones then then his plan to go charging into fight felsey does seem kind of like a, a a bad thing to do without taking some major precautions because if it does break his exclusion zone then like this could be a potential bad ending if 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 uh wales decides to give world the kinder a bad ending at the end is having an exclusion zone broken that'd be a awesomely cool way to do it yeah you know, break containment on the exclusion zones. Um, that makes it sound like being able to do glass magic wherever you want, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it it's interesting because the two cases that June has, assuming that gestalting is the one and and the hot dogs is the other, like they're both gifts from the or one's maybe an accident, but the, you know the other one is I think clearly a throwaway just gag from the DM, unless mm-hmm. he put it there just to fuck with the game, hoping that he'd go give the power to Fell Seed or something, right? <laughs> but um, <laughs> It wasn't until this moment that Amarillo says something about, do you think Felseed could absorb that power? I didn't know that absorbing powers was one of the things that he did. So uh, if that's the case, then yeah, that adds to his threat level. Um, mm-hmm. All we've been told so far is that he's very, very scary and has a thousand brides. Um, yeah. But yeah, apparently he can consume powers from people. You know, if he can make another 295 hot dogs, I don't think that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, the, I mean, I guess I, I'm just still you know, waiting, you know, apparently June and Amarillo's had a long conversation about Felseed in the time chamber and June's blue balling us by keeping us in the dark about it. Yeah. He tells us that, oh yeah, when you weren't looking, I had this long conversation with Amarillo's and gave her all the answers to all the questions that she had, but not you mm-hmm. guys. Ha ha ha. 
eat dirt readers right <laughs> yeah it, it's it's i hope it's really something very awesome i hope their plan is good too yeah oh man um he's got a plan for something else later that i'm really curious about and excited to mention yeah so speaking about plans um all of Ra- uh, raven says that all the plans um she she was she had some plans to uh save to to save air by risking her own life and the lives of others of uh, going i believe this was about going into Felseed, right to try to get arthur back or i uther. think so yeah, yeah. And she, she said all the plans to try to investigate uther's disappearance in the Felseed zone uh, were too risky when i was planning to risk my own life and the lives of others not the entirety of air and that got me thinking should june take a risk regardless of how small that risk may be of destroying all of Erb, if it's in the service of becoming God and saving everyone everywhere forever. And if so, like how big of a risk is acceptable before it stops being acceptable to risk all of Erb to become God. I shall take no chances in destroying the world. Um, yeah, I, I think that no doubt some gamble will have to take place. Right. Um, I mean, Uther had to gamble all the time. I'm assuming mm-hmm you know, he had the understanding of the narrative behind him, but, you know, deciding to meet this opponent at this time, you know, those sorts of things where I'm not, I'm not sure how big, like the demon King monster was that he smashed through planes of existence, but maybe if he lost that fight, the world would have ended. Everyone seems to say that he stopped the world from ending like, I don't know, two dozen times. Right. Yeah. But that was like, the world was going to end and he risked like his lives and other people's lives to keep it from ending. It's not like he decided he wanted to become God and uh, undo the hells. And so he took a risk that the world could have ended. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, like the, it's going to be a gamble. Yeah, the the example I, I thought of immediately was the nuclear weapons versus the Nazis thing. When the uh, the United States was developing nukes and thinking they might need to use them against the Nazis, like they... They actually thought, you know, there's a small chance if we test this thing in the desert that the atmosphere is going to ignite and kill all life on Earth. And like they did all the working out. I know you're already familiar with this. They did a whole bunch of math to it and was like, yeah, the chance is almost zero. It's 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 absolutely tiny. It's it's pretty negligible. We can we can just go ahead with this anyway, because, you know, it was a non-zero chance, but it was small enough that having this sort of weapon to stop the Nazis was worth the risk. But I don't know. That certainly kind of worries me. Like, how how many of these chances uh, are we going to survive if we keep taking them? And how big of a risk is an acceptable risk to have a weapon to defeat the Nazis or the commies or whatever? And then, of course, you know, humanity went on to, like, accidentally drop, like, live nukes out of airplanes and stuff, like, like while flying over the country. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Uh, but, like, the question is, were they were they justified in testing the first atomic weapon? thinking that there was a minuscule chance it might end all life on earth. I, weapon I don't actually know if they, if they had any reasonable belief, you know, like people thought that about the, you know, like non-scientists thought about thought, thought that about the large Hadron collider. Right. Well, uh, and scientists thought that too. About the, not about the LHC or about nukes. Both. Well, I don't know if any real scientists the- believed that about the LHC. I didn't, I don't know enough about the nukes. Um, well, as far as I know, the the LHC had less people um, looking into it and calculating whether it would blow up the world than than the nuke question did. Because we had, we had smashed particles together before; it was just bigger. I don't know. I my it, so Nazis would have sucked, but they weren't a world ending threat. You know, they could have been stopped with bullets. So mm-hmm. I feel like if there was any risk, any you know 
whatever, not stupidly small, like, uh, I don't know, insert insane hyperbole of epsilon approaches zero possibility. But if there's any measurable po- possibility of it, dest- of testing a nuke destroying the planet, then no, mm-hmm. totally not worth it. Nazis weren't that scary. You can shoot them. Well, um, they tested it anyway. Yeah, no. So I, I, I disagree. If, if anyone really, so I disagree with their uh, risk assessment. If, if anyone yeah. really was worried about it, um, the, to me, the, the bigger gamble is going to be like June becomes God. I mean, that still has the enormous risk of him fucking everything up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. It, it seems like it'd be really easy. You know, he gave his like little speech when he met the space murder hobos and it sounded just like the Nazis of the second empire. Right. Mm-hmm. his transhumanist utopia if he just waved his hand and did that i think things would end terribly like this is you know the the moving humanity towards a utopia is a difficult project yeah and so to me the the risk of that going badly is definitely worth considering i well i mean sure i sort of agree but i also think if he has like literal godlike powers where he can redact and erase the past then if he does fuck up he can just undo it right yeah, I mean, maybe that's hard. And, you know, he, he could fuck that up by accident. But oh, no, I already deleted the thing. I can't even bring it back now. Right. Um, <laughs> There's no control Z in Godhood. I have, I don't know. Right. You know, there, yeah. there isn't if you if you truly delete something. Um, so I don't know. Um, it it's unclear. You know, the DM is the master of everything, but it's only because he has power that no one else has. Not necessarily because he has unlimited power. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh this was related to another thing about the end of the world um, because Heschel was curious about what the book said about how the council of arches would end the world. And apparently widespread proliferation of prescribed technology was one synthetics were the second plastics apparently are magic. I think we talked about that last week. Yeah. And the third was a prescribed contact with an entity though. That's largely a guess on our part, given its location. It might've been some might've been someone else. What entity do you think she was talking about? Like, it's not the DM, is it? No, I wouldn't think it's the DM because the DM's like outside of the game entirely. Yeah, but there's a lot of uncertainty around this. It just says contact with an entity. I think it says contract with an entity. Oh, it does say cr- contract. I can't even read. Okay, so, um, well, I wonder then what contract they could have made with some magic entity. Uh, okay, I mean, well, there's something like the couch potato could be that sort of thing too. That definitely sounds about right. Um, okay, yeah, I don't know. Um, and proscribed is legalese for like prohibited or banned. Um, yeah. So some some disallowed contract. <laughs> I wonder if that was with Uther. Um, <laughs> don't but, don't. Yeah, they brought back Uther and it ended the world. I mean, he could. That's true. I feel like I feel like he totally could if he wanted to. I mean, what are they going to do? Shoot him? All right, yeah. Maybe narrative doesn't have his back anymore, but that wouldn't have worked before. Mm-hmm. Like Emerilus wisely pointed out, like there's a chance that nuking June in the face actually wouldn't stop him. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, but, right. uh, there's there's a void threat apparently. Yes, uh, one of the threats that is uh, threatening Arab is the Void Beast. Quest accepted. Tragedy of the Commons. Following the discovery of the Void Beast, void weapons and tools were made illegal under international law, usable only with expensive permits or in situations that called for it. For time, this was f- sufficient. Now the Void Beast stirs once more, or stirs once again, and imperial regulatory schemes won't be enough. 
Uh, I I thought this was really cool in part to explain like why there's not very many void weapons and people aren't just using them all the time. Uh, but also because like I really probably should have figured uh, based around when this was written in 2017 that there would be some sort of a uh, a global warming threat to show up because it's just been it's been all over science fiction and fantasy for the past at least decade decade and a half. The first time I really saw it uh, was in The Wind Up Girl, which was fucking amazing. And I think it was because the wind-up girl was so fucking good that it took off everywhere else. But yeah, it's been it's been a common thing. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, cool. So we we got that in here too because we're just throwing everything in here, and that's great. I really like it that everything is being put in here. I'm glad that you made the link to global warming. I think that's funny and and apropos or like and accurate. I mean, mm-hmm. this is like a because you guys couldn't stop using these now, the the bad thing is going to happen, right? Yeah, um, like it doesn't matter if one person somewhere shoots a void pistol that that doesn't even like tickle the void beast or whatever. But enough people doing it over a long enough period of time starts to add up. Yeah, you know, you driving your hybrid car isn't gonna isn't gonna cause global warming. But if everyone's mm. you know just pumping gas into the air, um, this is also fun because you know I think they had mentioned void beast before or something like that, um, or maybe it was just earlier this chapter. But I didn't know it meant that kind of void. I thought it meant like space or whatever, mm. like, mm-hmm. you know, the void. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm glad that it just gave me a satisfactory answer as to why no one's using my favorite weapon all the time. <laughs> yeah. So like it's it's perfect. We've got an end universe explanation for why not why everyone's not armed to the teeth with these things all the time. Well, and yeah, yes. I mean, that might be hard to make, but that's not a good reason. I mean, they also have a limited range and you can stop them with enough of anything. Yeah, but they people are shooting each other with bullets and arrows, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. As I opposed mean, to void guns, yeah, yeah which you don't or, have to or, carry around ammo for, which is big. Void bombs attached to arrows. Uh yeah. 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 Like that that's the that's the sort of thing. Bomb arrows have been a thing that I've enjoyed. I think I mentioned this when they used it back at the prison, but mm-hmm. you know, you, you could do that. Uh when did was it nineteen ninety two? I forget when um, Link's Awakening came out, but I think that was the first game where you could use bomb arrows. Oh, where cool. You've got two two items you can you can equip at once, and if you have bombs and arrows, you press both buttons at the same time. You just shoot your bomb, and it goes <laughs> flying off and explodes. Um, cool. Like that stuff's awesome. And why isn't everyone doing this with everything? You know, imagine mm. a, a a void bomb catapult if you're trying to raid a town. Like yeah. it's not it's not even. I mean, I guess if you want something there to pillage when you're done destroying it, then you don't want to use that. But um, but no, we have a good explanation. I'm honestly not sure that a void bomb catapult would do better than just a regular high explosives catapult. Because void bombs are stopped with a couple inches of steel, right? Whereas a regular high explosive will blow right through a lot of steel if it's, if it's a big enough bomb. Yeah, I think that... So on Earth, that's definitely the case. I think the main thing is that because void is like explicitly not magic. Mm-hmm that you can't put up a ward presumably to stop it i don't even know if a velocity ward maybe it would work on like the components of the bomb yeah but you know if it is just a crystal that has to just hit something hard enough you could just throw the crystal maybe the void isn't activated until it explodes yeah and they had to uh have some kind of detonator on the crystal if i recall i think you're right yeah still void bombs are tight and now i'm glad now i i understood why not everyone's using them all the time yeah Oh, all right. Okay. There was a great, hilarious beat here. Um, they're talking about the apparent problem, which all happened off camera, and we both comment on that June is apparently going to just lose his mind if he levels up without adult supervision. 
Mm-hmm. And well, fortunately, Heschel, hey, I might know a guy who can help. You know, mm-hmm. a guy who's been in a sentient prison for the last couple hundred years. <laughs> I I had paused before I think he even mentioned the prison. I'm like, I hope he's talking about Volater. And then he does. I'm like, yes, the prison. And yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, sorry. He sucks. And we had to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Sorry. Follater, um, White Shell. Yeah, yeah. We knew that guy. Yeah. He was, uh, he was a douchebag. Yeah, he's dead. We still have his bones. You want to see his bones? Oh, damn. <laughs> that and, would be kind of awesome. <laughs> Very sunny in Philadelphia moment. Right. I don't I don't know if uh Heschnell, like if it was like one of my, you know, close friends. I think it was like an old associate or something. I forget how he phrased it, but still it was just hilarious unhappy. that they were, they were talking about the same person. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Heschnell, ah, a mentor dead by your hand. And Amaryllis is like, I hardly think the comparison is fair. And he's yeah, talking man. about Ruffing. Yeah, apples and oranges, dude. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, I guess, oh, and the other reason I pulled that out is because Heschnell does seem to know about the Ravain stuff, which was a secret. And I'm a, so I'm assuming that the fact that Masters originally told us, and to my recollection, Heschnell never mentioned it before. I think that was just like an editing mistake when he told Raven, Heschnell told me about it. Okay. So I, I don't quite know where that hiccup might have happened, but I remember thinking about that last week. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember but, that. Too. Yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, talking about this this whole when he's gaining a level thing, like Amaryllis says that the last time he gained a level, the compulsion was beyond his power to fix without outside intervention. Unfortunately, he's getting stronger with every level, and there's no guarantee that outside interventions will remain viable, especially if it happens when he's by himself. In the event that occurs, it's likely that he'll go rogue. And, like, I I really wish that we had seen what had happened last time he gained a level because all we heard was that, like, when he came to, people were holding him down and, and forcing, like, soul-fucking him, I guess, to make him back to normal. And we don't actually know what happened. And, like, it sounds like it was really bad. And I'm wondering if he tried to kill random monsters or just even random people that were around or ran off and tried to complete some suicidal quest or like what what was going on that he had to be held down and soul fucked yeah we're absolutely missing some context on this like we saw him when they're actually escaping the prison that they got followed her out of where he like stayed behind to fight some more golems and he's like am i mm-hmm. am i xp farming right now i should not be doing this this is dumb right yeah. um and then he stays anyway until he almost dies and then he's finally like okay i guess this is dumb yeah but like the thing is it's not just amaryllis is worried about this june's on board with it too they yeah. seem to think he'll go full like cannibal Shia LaBeouf and start ripping his way through cities if he gets to level up without adult supervision. Right. And this has never been shown to us to be like that big of a problem. Like, yeah. yes, it becomes his biggest value. But, you know, whatever my biggest value is, I'm not going to go start killing people over it. Right. I, I guess you are not. You don't value anything as much as he values leveling up then. I guess. But it just seems... I mean, so either we're going to get some reveal that explains why we didn't get it handed to us or, you know, the final edit of it of this that makes it to the bookshelves will have something in there that explains why this is a problem worth worrying about. Mm-hmm. Like I was I was calling out his his jonesing for a level up as like an issue, you know, keep an eye on that dude, but not a, uh, you know, he'll go rogue. Come on. I he. I, mean, I just, yeah, I really just wish we got a little insight because, like, apparently it was a really big deal. And I guess I'm going to believe them. They're they're not lying to us, but I wish we had seen a little bit of that so we could get the feeling for how bad it could be more personally. Yeah, I think he, all of his level ups have been on screen. And 
you know, he's never once like, I mean, I don't think that counts. So when, when he levels up after killing Amin, he was kicking the revision mage in the face. Yeah, that's right. But he wasn't gaining an XP by doing that. No. I think he was just kind of, you know, thrashing. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm curious what the context is here. And I mean, I guess I can think of one of two ways we'll find out. Either one, they'll tell us about some time where something happened or whatever it is that caused their concern. Or mm-hmm. he'll level up without adult supervision. <laughs> Maybe last time he leveled up, he like did thrash or something and managed to kill something that gave him XP. And it was like, oh, I feel so good. And just kept doing it. Well, the thing is, he doesn't know when he gets XP, right? Uh, that's true. Yeah, he doesn't. So, and like last time he leveled up, I think Emerilus just sat on him and fixed his soul. Uh, I don't know if, like, she just sat on him. It sounded like the whole party was trying to hold him down. Oh, yeah, I mean, they pinned him down, but, like, he didn't get a chance to go run run around and start rampaging. Right, yeah. Yeah. But he must have done something that made them be like, oh, we have to pin him down and fix him. Yeah, that I, I was confused about it at that time, too. So, I don't know. We'll hopefully find out eventually. Yeah. If not, it'll go on my list of things to ask, ask Alexander about, should we ever get the chance to. Exactly. Um, so, this was a really fun lead-up towards the end. Um when Vervain, to the rest of the world's knowledge, just died, um, you know, Arthur Uther had a big statue of him put up and like a nice plaque to, to describing Vervain's achievements, not even mentioning Uther, which I think is actually kind of nice. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he will not be remembered for being my Gandalf. He'll be remembered for being Gandalf, right? Yeah, yeah. And, but apparently in the, in the same size as that plaque, Arthur put a, a plaque on it with four cryptic letters. and. I had guessed, like I'd paused. I was like, okay, cryptic letter is not a word. Um, so NPCs something, right? I mm-hmm. I was I was on that track, but I'd never heard the term DMPC before. Okay. And so that was what was up there. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'll give myself half credit because I, I knew I, I was guessing NPCS as in like plural NPCs. Right. And that wouldn't really make sense though, because he was only one person. Yeah, but but you were on you know, the right track. Yeah, I was I was as close as I could have gotten with the information I had. Yeah, um, it was like you you were figuring there was something about the game that made him unhappy that Vervain was game outside of air logic rules something. Yeah, I that that was my thinking. And yeah, yeah so there's and an epitaph overshadowed by four letters set on the plinth as large as all of Vervain's accomplishments. DMPC, and it's just been a mystery for the last five hundred years. Yeah, because they don't have like, tabletop role playing here. Yeah, but June's like, oh yeah, I I know what that means. Yep, and fortunately, he tells all the rest of us in the next chapter at the beginning, chapter one twenty six, ever onward. They have a flashback where the group is talking about this uh, DMPC that is being introduced into the party because I don't remember exactly what they needed it for. Uh, but uh, we are told that doctrine is for the DMPC to not have a decision-making role in the group or otherwise have actual agency of their own because he's a PC in the adventuring party, but he's controlled by the DM. So he's not, he's not really a PC. Uh, and Uther thought that Vervain was a DMPC, and that's almost certainly why he killed him. And my question is, do you think that's a good reason to kill Vervain, assuming that he was right, that Vervain was, instead of being like his own person, he was just the DMPC? I mean, consider what June did when he met the DM. Yeah, but like the DM, I don't know that that feels a little different. June June had been here for two months and was like, "Oh my god, fuck this guy!" And Arthur realized to his satisfaction that holy shit, the guy who's been kicking me in the balls for forty years is right here. 
Yeah, but it's not the guy necessarily. It's a PC that the guy is inhabiting and that has like an existence in the world. Like the the DM didn't exist. Nobody else knows about the DM, right? If he kills Vervain, he's actually making an impact on the world because Vervain is a player within it. Yeah, but he's getting that asshole out of his, you know, company. That's, you know, that's the other thing I was thinking, like, what does it really change, though? Because the DM is still all-powerful and still sees everything he's doing. It's all all he does is now he doesn't have a direct line to whisper him exposition directly into his ear, right? It's what has he changed about the game by taking out for Vane? I think I think it was just um, catharsis. Yeah. You know, like it, it could be if if the DM in Arthur's time is half as trolly as June's, then like I could imagine whenever they're talking about like their next campaign or whatever it is they have to do, you know, Vervane will say something seemingly wise, but like as obvious, like so once it became clear that Arthur knew mm-hmm. and then would just like give him like the shit eating grin when no one was looking or like a small wink, like just to fuck with him or whatever. Right. Yeah. Like I kind of doubt that he was, you know, taking the time out to completely fuck with him but i'm i I can see that happening with mr dice guy see i can't i have a hard time imagining uther like just snapping like that i mean i it seems like something that he would have found out slowly by piecing clues together since he'd known him for like 30 40 years whatever and and not just something that's revealed to him so he would have had to think about should i go kill vervain or not right or do you think he just somehow found out in a snap while Vervain was in front of him and and went crazy? Not went crazy, but, you know, had the surge of emotion and like June did. I think it was a calculated move to take him out and kill him because they went. He's like, no, they went out on some private mission. And then he came back alone and said he killed him and he had to. Right. Yeah, that's what so, I thought, too. Yeah. So like he he it wasn't like he had some revelation and in the heat of the moment killed him on impulse like June did. So good point. I I guess I like what would June do if he learned that Amaryllis was Mr. Dice Guy? Right. Like what would what would he do? I I feel like he would kill her. Okay. Because like he would know that everything that she's saying is just pretend that you've been manipulating me this whole time. You're you're the person who who's been fucking with me. And yes, yeah. killing you won't actually killing killing Amaryllis's meat suit won't actually kill you, but it's a good way to give you the finger. Okay. But. I don't know. I mean, unless Arthur thought that maybe it would hit harder. Maybe, you know, he did more than just punch him to death. Maybe that he actually did some damage with his high magic, but that's not how I really could imagine that working. So no. Yeah. I mean, I suppose the only damage he really could do is, you know, find some way to blast the speakers or something and hurt the DM's ears. Right. <laughs> um, right. But so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It feels like a weird decision. Maybe he like knew for a long time and sat on it and eventually just couldn't couldn't stand to have this fake DM PC around him any longer. Maybe what happened is he he's like, all right, Vervain, let's go out and have a private mission, just you and me. And then what he did is like sit down and talk with him. And he's like, okay, look, I know you're the DM PC I've known for a while. Like, can you please lay off? And mm. maybe Vervain was like, no, nah, man, this is great. I'm having an awesome time. And it's like, mm. okay, well, then you know what? Eat shit. Yeah. Yeah. I, maybe it happened like that. That I could totally see that happening. Or maybe just, you know, maybe Vervain would have been just like, huh, yeah, okay, you're right. Well, okay, I'm writing myself on a story. I'm Bye, I'm dead. And then Uther would have had to explain, you know, what happened, why he's dead now after they went off together. That would be funny. Like he pulls out like an earth, you know, Smith and Wesson and shoots himself in the face. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I, I, I can equally see that happening too. Yeah. So what was fun is June was thinking that like when he was remembering back to when he first learned about Vervain, that it sounded like his skill set was very much like uh, skill as the plot demands or power mm-hmm. as the plot demands. Mm-hmm. And that was funny because flower magic is essentially like the watered down version of druid magic. Mm-hmm. And many flower mages think got good at like 10 and Vervain was like good at hundreds and could pick up a plant off the ground and do magic on it. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this guy's cheating. Yeah. Um, so I, the thing is, like, power as the plot demands is also true for, like, any given Gandalf, right? Um, uh, or at least yeah, for literally Gandalf. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why they always got to be written out of a story, because otherwise the story gets dumb. Yeah. I mean, because it's funny, ha- you know, half of the time Gandalf can, like, oh, look, I can make a light, like, a, a weak light bulb with my magic stick. And mm. other times he's like, watch me take down this demigod. And, right. And it's like, so what What can you do, old man? It's like, well, that depends. <laughs> what do we need to get done? <laughs> exactly. I can do the yeah. bare minimum that we need right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Those those are always, yeah, they, they ruin stories because then there's no tension when you can always do, just go up to the wizard and be like, hey, we have a problem. Can you fix it? Like, it just so happens. Yeah, I, I've, I've got a thing for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. My... My money for best guess on who the DMPC would be if June's party has one would be Amaryllis. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I don't think that she is, so I don't think that his party has one. Yeah, um, it could be that it's you know could be Raven, it could be um, you know Heshnel, somebody who's around. Bethel is actually a really good guess, not just because she's a sadistic psychopath like the DM. I'm just throwing shade, but yeah, yeah. because her perfect eavesdropping abilities would make it so that. The DM doesn't have to pretend to not know things when he's talking with the characters. Yeah. So I don't know, but I, I don't think that right now I have a, a strong guess. Amaryllis gets a little bit of suspect or gets, gets one sus point from me when she interrupts his thinking about it later on. Mm-hmm. He's thinking, Oh man, does my party have one? And then she walks up and interrupts his train of thought. I'm like that timing. Ah, okay. That, that's, that's too perfect. Mm. But I don't know. Do you happen to remember who you thought it was? Or did you have thoughts that you can disentangle from the future? Yeah, my... I, I actually agreed with you that I didn't think any of them was the DMPC. I was just like, oh no, there's 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 no one here. But like, I I think probably um, um, Valencia would have been my, my like strongest leaning on who the DMPC is because like she can have almost arbitrary combat powers which is awesome or almost arbitrary like knowing what people around her are thinking and feeling powers which is also awesome and like she's a unique unique power in the entire world and history of Arab. and i just think she would be the most fucking fun to play so if <laughs> if i was the dmpc and i wanted to have the, the dm and i wanted to have a good time i would be playing valencia and like you know if there are any sudden rapid changes in her demeanor or whatever it's like oh i'm i'm channeling a different demon right now or a different devil right now so it, i thought that would have that could have worked but again i didn't actually place much probability on it because i didn't think there was a dmpc yeah that's a good call i mean the other thing that kind of gives me vibes against it is that i think the dm is sp- again the bulk of my probability estimate is June or Arthur mm-hmm. and all of his companions are trying to get into his pants. Yeah. And so like, I, I feel like it would just be weird if like me from the future took on like the hottest body I, that younger Steven could find imaginable 
and try to seduce my younger self. Um, mm. For purely that reason, I feel like that's that it's probably not Amaryllis or any of his other pretty companions. But what if your younger self was actually a really drop-dead gorgeous hot chick? And since you were your younger self, you knew that you really wanted to get laid. Uh, but my younger like, self- The reason we don't want to seduce our younger selves is because we are not into dudes that way. Or certainly not dudes that look just like us. But what if, you know, it was I was actually a really hot chick back then? I... Oh, so in real life, if this happened to me, and like mm-hmm. say in the future, I got to my transhumanist future where I could switch, switch bodies at, at will. Mm-hmm. Um, future Steven would teleport back to now, give me the password and then be like, want to fuck? And I, <laughs> then, then we could talk about it. Right. I feel right, like, yeah. if, I feel like a future me tried to, d- tried to like sneakily get in my pants. I feel violated by myself. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of violation, this is actually perfect. All of your segues have been on point all night. So I finally got one. Um, June's, Getting rapid loyalty increases from Bethel whenever she he gives any sort of approval for her her being like rude or evil. Mm-hmm. Um, she gives Raven the piss stained copy of a book that she gives to everyone, and he kind of mm-hmm. he gives like a small smile and gets a loyalty bump. Um, so his thought was loyalty increases for her have been few and far between, and I didn't know what it said that seeing that small seeing a small f- smile for me was enough to trigger one. It didn't make me God, I can't talk. It didn't make me feel particularly good, not about myself and not about her. I'm like, that's what I said last week. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be the kind of person that got loyalty from Bethel. <laughs> oh. So that said, he, he's like the first person to treat her with like actual consideration. Mm-hmm. And well, maybe not. I mean, I get, I think Emerilus actually is too. Um, but certainly his party is and yeah. he's the only one with a score. So um, probably the first person in her entire like 500 years of existence. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Amaryllis definitely has some level of, you know, perhaps Slytherin shaded, but like, is that's the thing is, you know, if I, if I feel like you'll be a better team member, if you're actually happy and, and flourishing, then I'm going to try and make you actually happy and flourishing, right? Mm-hmm. Even if I'm doing it to serve my own ends. Um, right. So, you know, if that's Amaryllis's perspective, it's not, doesn't make it less genuine, but um, it's funny because like the very like obviously ass kissing things that june says are exactly the kind of things that would never work on grack mm-hmm. but they do work on her and especially because they're sincere and presumably she can like you know tell his heart rate and she's like a constant polygraph right right so she knows he's not lying either um but this isn't quite where he gets violated so that that transition wasn't as smooth as i had hoped it would be okay but we will we will save that until the violation yeah i mean there's just so you know, lots of lots of examples of Bethel being mean. Um, I made lots of comments. I think about all of them in my notes, but I'll I'll save everyone the trouble of going through them here. So we will we will hit them all in one big go at the next chapter. Uh, okay, it, yeah. They do talk about uh, Felseed again and what they're going to do about him. And uh, he mentions that like uh, he he wouldn't really know what to do unless like maybe there was just some kind of plan already in place that someone had made and was just waiting for like an appropriately powerful uh piece to fall into place like say an uther 2.0 and he was like oh wait does someone actually have a plan like that and raven says it's possible that they meaning her librarians have something relevant and like to me i thought felseed was a long way off like end of the book or something probably but if there already is a plan in place that has been thought over yeah, in great detail, and they're just waiting for someone with June's powers to come along to enact it, then, like, 
this moves up the potential for a Felsteed showdown to quite a bit sooner, uh, I thought. Although perhaps they were thinking of Uther like at max power levels, which June would need to work on some more before he gets there. Yeah, I I don't see June approaching Uther levels really any time in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, unless we get a big time jump. Mm-hmm. But you know, right now he's the best at a handful of things on the planet, and other things he's you know in the upper percentiles. But he's not like impossibly OP at stuff. You're saying we're going to need a montage. We had a montage chapter, though. I know. We're going to need another montage. We might get another montage chapter. Or, I. so I. it could be that. I, I have this this thinking that he's going to cheat his way to, to victory like Harry did. You know, mm. Harry didn't beat Voldemort by studying really hard and, you know, going through a month-long time loop for 15 years to get caught up to his level, right? Yeah. No, no he he cheated, found, found a workaround that Voldemort didn't see coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's gonna be something like that. You know, it's not going to be some clever use of weak magic. I don't think that'd be too kind of on the nose, but it's going to be, you know, rather than beating the game in an arm wrestling contest, he's going to sneak around from the side and, and take it out that way. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as this, the showdown with Felseed, um, I don't know. I, <laughs> at the 25% mark, we met the DM. So I became immediately very bad at predicting when things would happen. Right. <laughs> So I, I really had like no guess as to when this might happen. Um, mm. But yeah, it certainly sounds like it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Mm. Sure, it'd be nice if they could get in there, look around, confirm that Uther's not there, and then leave before anything happens. But of course, that's not going to be how it shakes out. Right. The DM is not going to miss a, miss a chance to be, you know, he might not push June to go there like in so many words, but he's not going to miss the chance to, you know, hey, what happens if I point Felzied at him? Like one, one does not simply walk into Felseed's EZ. Right. <laughs> All um, right. So, oh yeah, they're having the heavy talk for a long time and then they break and enjoy some, you know, group breakout sessions during lunch. Bethel prepares like an eclectic Southern dish meal from earth. Mm-hmm. And this is another example of her being snooty, but, um, there was, uh, so th- I guess the only context for that is now it's just June and Raven kind of like off talking alone by themselves. And Raven's saying, well, I never did much. You know, I was the front of the front of the litter. Uther called me his exposition fairy, but that didn't really, or that didn't particularly boost my spirits. He also called me the moral center of the group, but I was 12 years old and he, and I knew it. It And so it always sounded false. And I'm pretty sure every good group needs an exposition fairy. And I think June used that phrase at some point. Uh, I think he did too. I think he used it about Amaryllis. Okay. And uh, being the moral center of the group sounds sincere. Like, it's like having a Hermione nearby. Half the reason I chose, or that's the reason I chose Granger for part of the name. Mm. Having somebody nearby that can look at and be like, mm, no, that wouldn't be nice. I, I get where, you know, she, she probably didn't feel like she was contrib- contributing that much because she was 12. But wait, hold on. Oh, she what? was 12. She had a 12 year old body. She was 1200. Yeah. R- yeah. So she had a 12 year old body and like the, I guess, Endocrinology maturity of a 12 year old, uh, even though she had like 1200 years of experience, but 100 years of that was experience of being one year old, 100 years of that was experience of being a seven year old, and 100, the last 100 years of it has been the experience of being a 12 year old, I guess. I don't know. I think you got to just kind of kind of squint a little bit and, and take it at face value. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally get like you look at the small child in your group and you're going to have a hard time. Be like, all right, you hardened battle soldier, soldier who's been through a thousand years of, of battle. Like, go do this for me. Um, yeah. 
So I guess being delegated to the team Hermione might be kind of like a kick for her, but for I whatever think, her think, race is, that's got to be typical, right? It it honestly sounds like she did feel like a 12, the equivalent of a 12-year-old at the time, too. I mean, I, I'm a bit of a biodeterminist. I think a lot of how we feel just has to do with our hormones. And if you have the body of a 12-year-old and the hormones of a 12-year-old and you don't have like, you know, your body wearing out on you and causing you pain every day like you do as you get older, then it's it's i think it's much less unreasonable to think of the character as a 12 year old even if she has had 1200 years of experience yeah that's the weird thing about i forget what their race was but her and masters and whatever they're mm-hmm. just humans who who are 100 times s- slower than people yeah which maybe means that she stayed have... like in her terrible twos for a century yeah like maybe she they did, need to have a hundred sorry go ahead Oh, maybe they needed to have a hundred years of experiences to mature the same amount that a human would just need one year of experience because they learn a hundred times slower or something. Yeah, that that's the weird kind of wrinkle about it. That seems like it must be true. And at the very least, you're right about the hormones and stuff. But like, you know, how do you have the psychology of a 12 year old when you're a thousand years old? Unless like there's some shenanigans going on, which there may well be. Um, so maybe she was like a little more moral like emotionally centered 12 year old than the average 12 year old but mm-hmm. maybe yeah you know it's a i mean i know that biodeterminism is like a category to name for a reason but it kind of blows my mind that it has to be because like where the hell else would our like psychology come from right. like well yeah it comes from your hormones and your, soul, and your brain sir. oh, oh yeah. yes of course of course i forgot yeah. um so uh there's another quick line that i liked where um June's asking about the early years, you know, not Earth stuff, but like when he joined up the theater troupe, because apparently there's really nothing written about that. Um, mm-hmm. And Raven's like, oh, yeah, he told me. He always called it the refusal of the call. Mm-hmm. And I liked that because refusal of the call is capitalized. And June and Amaryllis talked about it in those terms a long time ago. I think when they first talked about the theater troupe thing. Yeah, and it was part of the J- Joseph Campbell's um, Hero with the Thousand Faces thing. Yeah. But uh, June and Amarillo has also talked about because uh, Arthur wrote whatever yes. wrote the Campbell book on Arab, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so I don't know for whatever reason, like you know, we met Masters, we met Heschel and all them, and I like was like, ah, you know, it's, it's people who knew Uther. It's not all that exciting. And somehow the the mystery and the enthusiasm is sparking again. Excellent. And and this is when I realized it, so I had to had to pull that out because maybe it's not just me. Okay, because when when it brought up the whole refusal of the call and the monomyth that he's living through again, yeah, and it just put me in the mindset of like, oh yeah, like oh shit, yeah, that's the it's still this big awesome fun mystery. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, something about it just kicked the excitement back up for me. Cool. Yeah, June does say, uh, speaking about Uther's past here, that for the first, I don't know, I think it was like three years or so, he just toured with the troupe, which is, you know, what she referred to as the refusal of the call. June says, it made me incredibly sad to think that Arthur would come to another world and end up just trying to live a normal life. I wasn't sure how to feel about that exactly, because I agree that that's kind of a bummer. Like, you get this whole chance to get portaled into a brand new fantasy world with all these powers. And instead you're just like, you know what? I just want a nine to five job and to have a wife and kids. And that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to keep my head down. I guess, I don't know. I guess that's what most people would ultimately do. Probably like you kind of, you always think, yeah, I'd be the hero immediately, but like we're dropped into this world. And, uh, I'm certainly not out there doing whatever it is. Heroes do. I'm just making podcasts and writing books and shit. I, uh, 
I don't know. It seems I mean, like it, kind of a wasted opportunity on Arthur's side, but also, what else would you do? In our defense, we don't have superpowers. You know? Yes, that's true. And apparently, I think it sounded like from the context of this conversation over these chapters that Arthur's knack was actually a lot stronger than June's. Um, like he could pick up a sword and be like really, really good at it by the end of the day, not yeah. after you know weeks of practice. Yeah. Um. So you know he would have that. I guess, you know, if June showed up and kind of started mundane, that would have made more sense because he's leveling up slower or something. But mm-hmm. I think the other main thing is that Arthur, it's not clear when he was pulled to Erb, right? Was he, you know, so like June got the offer in fifth period English eight months after Arthur died on Earth. Yeah. But it's not clear at what stage in Arthur's life that his psychology and his brain or whatever was cloned and brought to Erb. Right. Like presumably when he was in the coma, um, or maybe like even before the car accident, he's like DM popped up. So do you want to do this? Arthur said, sure. He's like, okay, cool. Going to get rid of your body here with the car accident. And Arthur's like, okay, I guess. Well, see if, if that's the maybe. case though. And he consented to it, like, and let his earth body be killed. I, I see. The, I think the main difference is that like, while I do still think that June's psychology might've been tweaked before he was dropped on air, just because he wasn't panicking nearly as much as I think a normal person should or would have. Um, mm-hmm. But Arthur liked his life on earth presumably Uh, that's a good point yeah the the main difference that june was basically dying sorry for the grim pun um for a chance at a fresh start yeah and like when he got here he's like oh finally a blank slate but arthur's like oh no my friends my plans my you know my my life yeah so i guess it would have had to be in the coma when the dm's like you're gonna die soon anyway do you want to have this other thing that's assuming arthur even got the consent conversation Hey, that's a good point. He might not have. Then again, too, June didn't know that he had had the con- consent conversation until he talked to the DM about it. Yeah. And it so, sounds like Arthur, at least at the point that we met him in the mirror, hadn't ever talked to the DM. He didn't mention it. And he didn't yeah. mention anything shadowing towards it either. Yeah. Yeah. You know, may- maybe his version of the talk of the DM was talking with Vervain. And maybe he even got mm. like the memory dump or something. And he's like, that doesn't count as consent. I was, I was in a coma. I would have said yes to anything. Fuck you. Or something, yeah. right? Who knows? I'm yeah. really curious how that whole thing went down. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but I think the main difference is that, like, Arthur got here and is probably horrified about what's going on, confused. And he's like, well, you know, being in a theater troupe, that's the kind of thing I would do if I was in medieval times anyway, if I got to do whatever I wanted. So I think he just tried to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And we know that he never stopped pining over Earth, whereas June only thinks about it when he has to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, he eventually uh, did his Arthuring, or his Uthering rather, and he had a chance to save a girl. I believe it was near the end of his first adventure or... Yeah, something like that. And uh, when he had the chance to save the girl, he chose to leave instead. It was uh, a certain death for her versus uh, his own survival. Like he, he might die, he might not if he intervened, but if he didn't, she was definitely going to die. And he uh, he he chose a certain death for her rather than risking his life. And Raven says he always regretted it. And I pulled this out because I immediately was like, oh, the very first thing that happened to June when he came to Arab was basically mirroring this where uh, June has a chance to save a girl and he chooses not to instead. And I mean, I know for him, it was like a total stranger rather than this girl that he knew and or loved. But uh, like, I, I kind of think that since just just the last time we we 
the last section that we read, he June was talking about, yeah, I really like mirroring and stuff like that uh, and repeating cycles, uh, bringing people back to where they were before. So the DM probably does too. And this, you know, I wonder if that was intentional by the DM to be like a mirror of Arthur's first failure adventure thing. It could be, you know, it'd be like the kind of thing for like people who are whatever playing the game series or something or watching the movies, whatever this is for consumption, one level up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, that's a callback, right? Yeah. But, you know, the girl, at the gas station and the girl being chased by the Voltron weren't like, A, June didn't feel the least bit bad about letting those those two women die. And two, I think the girl that Arthur let die had been part of the theater troupe, like someone that he has kind of smitten on, right? Yeah. And so... Like he had known her, I think he was with the troop for years, right? It sounded like it, yeah. Yeah, so I think maybe it'll it be was... something like, you know, the the if if we're going to get like a direct mirror of that, it'll be Amaryllis at some point. But no, Amaryllis would be like the one saying, what are you going to come back and risk a 1% chance of dying? Get the fuck out of here and she'd throw herself off a cliff, right? <laughs> right, um, yeah. So it couldn't be her and it wasn't Fen. Mm. Um, like I think it was just like a, a small mirror type thing. It wasn't supposed to be the whole recapitulate the entire story but it felt like maybe that was intentional to me yeah i think i think it's definitely intentional um i think you're right it's probably more of a callback than like a let's try and do this again right yeah yeah Yeah. um then uh raven goes on to say i used to think that one act was at the core of him the reason that he kept pressing so hard inserting himself into so many places where he wasn't entirely wanted now i'm less sure Hmm. and i wonder if the guilt of a moment of cowardice pushed him for a long time like it that that read makes sense to me um yeah. i'm not sure why raven is isn't sure anymore probably because her whole world got flipped upside down and yeah. we do know that at least down the road arthur had other motivations mm-hmm. but why did he suddenly decide to go fight the dark i've always been calling the dark lord too but um maybe yeah, that's why they the put dark that king. in there i wonder if like in the comments sections of chapters people kept calling the dark king the dark lord mm. and so june says dark lord and raven corrects him <laughs> no it's the dark <laughs> king yeah, so as soon as the theater cheap stuff goes down, he's like, all right, forget it. Let's go kill this dark king, right? And that's when it begins. Yeah. Okay, so now we come to the next chapter where I just made a wonderful segue that everyone is really impressed with. Oh, man, that's almost as good as mine that we opened the show with. Yeah, I know. We're just knocking it out of the park today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this chapter is full house, and uh, they start by unloading loot crates. Oh, sweet, sweet loot. In passing, Bethel shows up and throws some very, very flimsy shade at Amaryllis for being "quote unquote" rich. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all her her you know attitude for me culminates in an act later. So I'll list out my my gripes then if I feel like it, giving the long list anyway. But um, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess I don't know. Apparently, it's boxes of entads, the location of buried treasure, and like twenty million obols, which I still have no idea what what that's worth. Now we get some context that apparently it's worth enough that Grax's share of that will amount to his thousand pounds of gold or maybe the other 500 pounds he needed or something, right? Yeah. So yeah, all the money, all the entads. And then, like I mentioned, uh, Bethel shows up and she's like, you know, Amaryllis is super rich. And June's like, ah, she's not really any richer than the rest of us. She's also a fugitive. And because she's grasping at straws, Bethel's like, well, she has a great many entads that she owns and, you know. All of them Uther's spoils and June's. Well, does that piss you off? And the how does that make you feel? Um, yeah, that she's the beneficiary of ill-gotten gains. Well, such is the way is the such is the way of the world. Useless to be upset about it. But she sounded upset, and mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, Bethel, and all those untads you stole from the poor explorers you tortured to death don't count as ill-gotten wealth. Like fuck you. 
<laughs> well, it, it probably is ill-gotten wealth, but I think there were less explorers and more like people trying to steal things from her. But they didn't know she was sentient, so exactly they they were just yeah. explorers doing what they thought what June's party was doing, which is exploring a a fortress, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They didn't know and, that it was you know that it would be upset about being robbed. Um, I know, and you had you had several comments earlier, which I just pulled out to condense all to this point. But all throughout these chapters, she is being a nonstop bitch to Amaryllis whenever she can. There's one point where she even just like disappears for a second, just to scare the shit out of Amaryllis by appearing in the corner of her eye for a second and then disappearing. Like I think that was Raven that she was torturing that time. Oh, was it Raven? Okay, she's yeah. just always being a bitch to to people related to Uther anyway. Yeah, and and like she's 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 mean. She's mean. You know, if Amaryllis says, you know, the sky is blue, you know, Bethel will call her an entitled, you know, bitch and say it's red, right? Um, if if Amaryllis says, don't bring food from Earth that could have info hazards in it, Bethel's like, fuck you, here's more food from Earth. Right. Oh, I guess that was actually another, uh, like, hierarchy thing, because that, that argument is settled when she, when Bethel says, June, what do you think? And he says, eh, we probably shouldn't do Earth food, because Raven's right, it could be, you know, bacteria or something, right? Mm-hmm. And so Amaryllis. No, no, Raven well that Raven mentioned the the other risk that no there there actually could be a risk of earth food. Um Oh was was it Raven? I thought it was Amaryllis that said the other risk. Amaryllis raises the concern and then Raven contributes to it by saying actually oh. yeah such things okay, okay. could could have serious fallout. Of of course yeah. Bethel turns to her and says no one asked you bitch. Um That's right. Yeah. But yeah. But the point but I just liked how she did defer to June and you know take his lead on it. Um, but yeah, the, I, I, so I had a genuine question, you know, yeah. is there anything Emerilis can do to make Bethel stop hating her or a better question? Is there any point in trying? <laughs> I, hmm, there might be something like if she just continues to stay with Bethel and keep showing her that she's a decent person at some point, I'm assuming it'll get through to Bethel, but I could be wrong. Um, I also think that Bethel like has, she she said um, when we first met her that she has this instinctive pull towards obeying Amaryllis because she is the direct descendant of the Pendrig line and has like some sort of magical influence, authority, whatever over Entads. And like, I think Bethel has this instinct and it's probably a good instinct for her on her part to just automatically say no and shut down anything Amaryllis says because she always feels the compulsion to to do what she says and she hates that and she doesn't want to do it. So she like... Her instinct is always do the opposite immediately, so I'm not giving into that bias and being controlled by it. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's what I was going to say. Is that I feel like I was going to I was going to mention that that very point that she has that compulsion, and I think that she won't know if she should stop correcting for it, right? Yeah, and yeah. I think at this point she's definitely overcorrecting for it. You know, just because definitely. you hate her and that she just because you kind of have like whatever you're programmed to want to believe her, if she tells you something doesn't mean that it's not true you know mm-hmm. so i i don't know it'll have something will shake out there i mean i think you're right repeated just enough time it you I know, hope so may, at maybe some point. maybe that'll like i guess the thing is like bethel's 500 years old like yeah what's well, a few months like that's nothing to her yeah uh, and if bethel is supposed to be like the the angry vengeful side of juniper then it's gonna need some redeeming right yeah exactly so i guess at that point um Bethel will become a better person. Um, yeah. I think we did determine just kind of a priori that you, that one can't relinqu- re- relinquish an entad. Um, yeah. 
So she can't be like, look, Jeannie, I set you free. Now can we be friends? Um, Because you're right. Otherwise, people just torture people for their (laughs) undeads. Yeah. Um, And I forget there's a different kind. Like there's the kind that you inherit. And then there's the kind that you can... um, I forget what the word was for bequeath, but... uh, Invest. Invest into somebody, right. So I don't think Kumduna is an investable entad. No, I would. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it. No, because then otherwise she could either try to invest Bethel with uh, Kumduna or yeah, say, look, who do you want me to pick? Mm-hmm. But I, I'm guessing she can't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, okay. that, was, that, was my, that was my Bethel rant. Thanks for indulging me. It was a good rant. Uh, I'll, I'm I'll sure get my next one short. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Paleta is speaking with June, as we were saying, and she says that all her... Um, oh, no, we were talking about Raven earlier, but now Paleta's talking, so there we go. That's my segue. Um, she says that all her many lives that she keeps reliving uh, from the beginning, that uh, she remembers them best, all her previous lives, in when she's around the same age. And she says, all the lives compound with each other and get lived through at the same time. And I can remember what my parallel selves were doing when they were exactly my same age. Younger or older, it fades off a bit. And I just pulled this out because it, like, struck home to me as I was reading those words literally. Because, like, I almost never reread books at all. Uh, I'm like, I don't have time to reread something I've already read. I want to go find something new. So this is an uncommon experience for me. And this is kind of like what rereading a thing feels like. I I just realized while I was rereading it that like while you're rereading it, you totally remember the kind of remember doing this before, reading this before. But like I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen up coming up in the next chapter. I and it's been a while now since we've read chapter one or two, so those are a bit more distant in my memory too. But like it, it feels a lot like reliving lives. This this whole rereading a thing. It's kind of cool. I'm glad that's like maybe the. You know, I, I don't think we can get another meta level above that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's I think that's a similar thing. Well, it's related to like watching reruns, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. I remember, you know, when things were simpler and I was younger, I used to watch The Simpsons or something. So I'm going to watch some Simpsons reruns from the 90s or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, yeah. Put yourself in that kind of relaxed nostalgia mood. But yeah, the the other thing is it just seems like it must just be a weird quirk of her species that you know when this particular mitsu is 17 the memories of all the other times that she was 17 are salient yeah which it's not clear why that should be the case mm-hmm. um but yeah i like that it you know when you mentioned that you rarely re- reread things if you recall that is the entirety of the reason that well that alone would have convinced me to do this podcast no oh. uh well yeah. it, it's there in the uh on the record in the um whatever pre prequel chapter or episode that we did Okay, I thought I was convincing for many other reasons, but well, the other reason was you described that it was good, but yeah, like yeah. and Alexander Wales wrote it, but mm-hmm. uh, I just knew that you never you never reread stuff, and you were like, "Do you want to read this book that I read it with me?" And I'm like, "Oh man, it must be great." I'm sold. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, ooh, wow, that that came out kind of high. Um, <laughs> she also says that uh, there's this compounding effect uh, on her lives and her memories because I don't just remember; I remember remembering, and the really big things that have happened to me have so much weight to them that they're almost impossible to ignore since it's the event itself, and then all the things I've thought about it and my reactions to those previous thoughts. And like, I can like totally see how a really big event, like 
someone you really love dying or something really traumatic happening to you, like it would be hard to get over ever because it just gets magnified so much by all these re-rememberings and re-reactings. And I don't know, it, it almost feels like you would be living a memento style life, except remembering everything instead of just being stuck in a certain time period, you know, like having the one giant thing that you can never get over because of the psychology of your species sounds like it would really suck. Yeah. You would think like being able to put 20,000 years between you and the bad thing that happened would like help dull it. Yeah. But if it happened when you were 15, every time you're 15, it's going to be there at the front and center again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's, sounds like a drag. Yeah. I guess you probably get coping tech mechanisms to deal with it, but I would imagine you'd have to, or you'd go insane. You know, there's got to be, you know, because she's 30,000 years old, you know, there. I'm not sure what exactly it would take, but there's some way to destroy her soul, right? If she really got sick of it, there's got to be a way for them to check out. Uh, maybe Valencia could eat it? Yeah, or a soul mage could destroy it or something, right? Possibly. Soul scathing. Is that? Yeah, 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 that's right. But, um, oh yeah, so she is 30,000 years old. And Mm -hmm. I know that because she says that she was there for the beginning of the world. Nice. And June's like, oh, you know, there's some debate about the 30,000 years thing, which, first of all, that is not the interesting part of what she just said, dude. (laughs) Right. Um, The interesting part is that this is proof positive that Arab was created. Like, there were people there to see it. Mm -hmm. And they're they're still around to tell you about it, right? It's not like like they've, they've got some book that says some people were there to see the creation of it. That's, yeah. that's not very compelling at all, but we've, we've got this race of immortals and we can ask them and they're like, oh yeah, 30,000 years ago. But of course, because there's fuckery and magic, there are other places that have like really convincing historical records that go back before that. But yeah. And I guess you could always just say like, maybe they've all been mind whammy to think they saw the beginning of the world or whatever. That's true. But it does kind of make me wonder what like the Arab, like the popular Arab creation myth is. Yeah. Um, you know, especially too, if we had people that were still walking around from... Well, that's the other main thing I wanted to pull out is that like, even if we had immortals on earth, no one is here for the beginning of the world. Yeah. No one is really even properly here for like, quote unquote, the beginning of the species. Mm-hmm. And so if if they're like, she was, she was there. He, he doesn't ask her about it. He just contests the number. Um, <laughs> tell me, tell me what you remember about the beginning of the world. Were you fully formed? You know, did you see anybody? Was he wearing a hoodie by chance? Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, did he roll dice and build things depending on what the numbers showed? God, could you imagine that might actually be the case if he just thought to ask? I sort of doubt yeah. it. Like, it. I think more and more just because this has actually happened with methods of rationality too. You know, mm. where I think it's in like the mid twenties, mid chapter twenty twenties of chapters, where it gets through his first week at Hogwarts. Right. Yes. And so, like, you can't. You just can't include everything. Yeah. And so. I'm sure at some point he asked her about this at length and like it, he, well, he'll either mention that he did it or he won't, but we can just assume that he did. Mm-hmm. And like but later he on, just he can't ma- include it all. Exactly. So like you start off including everything. And if you want to go a little meta with it, cause you're writing a book that's super meta, you can just do a montage chapter called that and have the character talk about montaging while you pass some time. And that kind of just gives you license to skip things going forward. Yeah. Um, but I remember like how disappointing it was you know, after some of like the year long hiatuses during methods of rationality where it would come in and there'd be like paragraphs and it would just describe how like months had gone by. 
And mm-hmm. it's like, ah, oh, you're just skipping to the end of the year. <laughs> like, <laughs> we know that we I, know that this really isn't going to be all seven books. Like, yeah, you you yeah. were really looking forward to having another twenty chapters per week. I mean, it it, it would have kind of got. I wouldn't necessarily want them all to go that speed entirely, but it was the one after maybe the longest hiatus. I can't quite remember. You know, it was all a long time ago now. But um, it comes back and it's like doing flashes. And then like battles from the spew squad and then like out of vitality is like, oh yeah, you know, and classes and homework and sleeping and then like another battle. And like, that's just yeah. like the montage skip thing. Um, yeah. And it just, it just jumped through a bunch of time that way. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, it was this, a fun way to jump through time, but yeah, it was definitely time skipping. Yeah. If you have jumped through time, it was a great way to do it, but it was just like, you know, we could have done it, you know, chapter or two a week, you know, mm-hmm. but anyway, I, I think, it actually averaged out to that, didn't it? So uh, there are 100 and change chapters. There's, yeah, so a couple chapters per week is a- around what we averaged to two. Oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't until just now either, but... Um, cool. Anyway, yeah, the beginning of the world, I forget how we got here. Oh, yeah, I guess my point is, is that, like, going forward, I'm going to assume that, like, why didn't they talk about this? I'm going to just say, well, they did. Okay. And we don't get to it was see off-screen. all of it. Yeah, like, yeah. We, like, there was an off-screen conversation about... Um, the fell seed thing exactly he mentions he gives us like he, he gives a throwback to saying i tried talking with roby but he just gave me like yes or no answers and it wasn't very engaging right mm-hmm. yeah. and so like we didn't get to see any of that but he tells us that it happened so yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna start giving him the benefit of the doubt for why isn't he doing this well maybe he did yeah so uh, since they are talking about the beginning of the world, uh, Palladia is like here giving him items. And one of the items she gives him is a cloak he recognizes from her game. And she's like, oh, my God, this was all planned from the beginning of the world from 30,000 years ago that I would end up here giving you this game, this cloak. And she was think- says, I was thinking about a being that could draw a line from then to now with such precision that I would end up here right where I needed to be to give you these things and lend my aid. And this is, I mean, this has been said, I think, at least once before, but, like, people keep not thinking of backwards causality, even though it's a much simpler solution, uh, aside from being, you know, impossible. Like, <laughs> the, 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 yeah, a, a being that can draw a line from 30,000 years in the past where everything has to go just fucking right so that you personally can give this one item to this one other person. That's insane. But a being who's like, well... I need someone to give him this item. So it's going to be you. And I wrote your backstory to fill this in. 30,000 years happened. Like, sure. The, the thing, the cause was you giving him the cloak. And then the effect was you existed for 30,000 years, which is, (laughs) which is backwards. But given that that's, if you ignore the fact that it's impossible, it's much simpler. I think they can be forgiven for it not occurring to them. Okay. Like that is a very, very counterintuitive way to think about stuff. And not just because nothing in their lived experience ever works that way, but also like, I guess it's not clear where like the mathematics of probability and cause causation or whatever are on Arab, but like uh, there's also just the existential push back against that. Right. Right. It never like, feels. No, I, yeah. I never, I, I, I'm not here to give you the cloak. I, this just, I'm, I happen to be here. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel like, oh, I just popped into existence to give you this cloak. I didn't exist before, but all of history has been rewritten and I have all these memories. That That's ludicrous. No one thinks that they just popped into existence a second ago and all of reality was warped to accommodate them. Yeah, I think June puts it really well. He just says, it turns my guts. I try not to think about it, even though it's important because there's not much I can, there's not much I can do about it. And Palada's just, or 
yeah, Palado says, uh, sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, smart, you know, that's a smart plan. If anyone can do anything useful with this knowledge and not go insane, it's Amaryllis. But I definitely mm-hmm. take the, like, the fuck am I supposed to do with this knowledge approach? <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned that she gave him that cloak. And I think we got that flashback where they talked about that. Like, yes, way early in did. the book. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Super cool. Yeah. A ring lets you go partly ghost and a dope ass circlet that Bethel wants to eat because of course she does. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, well, I mean, literally, of course she does. It lets her get up past her sensory overload issues. Yeah. But the weird thing is that she then relents without any pushback. Actually, they, they actually do just say, well, okay, I guess. And she's like, actually, you know, someone needs to keep an eye on the rest of the team and gives it back to June. Like, yeah. so I don't know. I, maybe it was a test. I wanted to ask you about that, but um, the, before we get to the the nice thing where she gives it back, she does say, you know, my sensorium is vast and troublesome. This would be the first request I've made since I met you. And I'm like, that's a load of shit. I Wait, mean, is it though? Well, I guess if you don't count her demanding their three favorite and most powerful entads on day one, since it wasn't well, a yeah, request, you, it was a you, threat you to disembowel them if they didn't comply. You don't count that one because they were still enemies at the time. But like, you know, since they became friends, I don't mm. think she's requested anything of them right since i first met you she said since we first became friends then i would have given her a pass but <laughs> june i've never asked anything of you sure i wanted to eat your most important things and i and i insisted that i get you know three of of your best but you know yeah. you know come on uh, I, that, was, that was you know that was payment for services rendered or something when they got to use her time chamber no i and i I get it but i just i feel like she 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 makes it sound like i i ask so little of you jane (laughs) right we've given you more than anyone else on the team (laughs) and also like she may be technically correct because like she will just randomly chop off people's fingers and then they have to deal with it and it's true that she didn't ask if she could chop off anyone's fingers but that didn't make it better right she she the reason that she doesn't that she's had to make so few requests is because she doesn't ask for things exactly she, she just takes them yeah but so there's two things about the circlet that one i like how bethel gives it back which is interesting i was curious if like Maybe it was a test that she's even asking for it. Because then I think right around then she gets the loyalty increase or two. Um, yeah. But the other thing is that uh, I just liked the description that it lets you know what it lets you see what your team sees, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it knows who your team is. I just checks the companions list in the game, um, the game code. You don't think it works. But do you think it works for uh, Polita if she puts it on? It probably does, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think it would just work for Earth, Uther and June um i don't know magic bullshit entad stuff i I guess i'm just thinking like if solace put this on you know Mm -hmm. or like the doe when she becomes eventually a hot young woman like (laughs) you know it i think that the doe is friends with everybody you know yeah i i I am curious i don't know if we'll get a chance to to do any science on that but Mm -hmm. um it to me that's just kind of like there's another sort of mind reedy entad later on that make put some of the same thoughts in my head. Um, cool. But yeah, that's a good point. It had not occurred to me to think that, like, how does it know who's on your team? Yeah. Let's, you know what Can you just f- say, like all of Arab is on my team now. I mean, in, in non-trivial cases, that would be the case, right? If you're fighting an apocalypse demon, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm fighting an apocalypse demon. I'm fighting a possible fell seed invasion. Like I am united with, with all 5 billion of us against this thing. 
I'd, I mean, I'd, I'm sure it's restrictive, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm what sure the it is too. Would be. Yeah. yeah, maybe you have to like have spent a week in their company and shaken hands and know their favorite food or something. Um, maybe you have to have sex with them first. <laughs> time to sleep your way across the country, continent, planet, June. Um, All right. So th- they they're talking nonchalantly right in front of her because there's no point in waiting for her to leave the room. Um, mm-hmm. about like, you know, can we kill her? And he's like, eh, actually, probably not. She's, you know, she's super strong and she doesn't really have any weak. She has, I don't think she has any weaknesses. And if she did, I wouldn't reveal them because I'm nice. And, um, she says, thinking of little, have you been thinking of ways to kill me little juniper? And he mm-hmm. says, well, have a plan to kill everyone you meet. Like as a quote. Yeah. And she doesn't think it's a quote. She just bends over cackling with laughter, which again, she doesn't need to bend over. She does a lot of pretending mm-hmm. like during, during the lunch thing. She's like walking around with a holographic plate of food like pretending Mm -hmm. to mingle you know it's almost like the pinocchio thing though where she wants to be a real boy right yeah so she's trying i mean that's what i think about the food with her this like cackling over laughing i think that's just like this is what my emotions are and this is how you would display them if you were a human so that's what i'm gonna do to get across how i feel yeah but she could just there's no reason she even needs to have a physical body like well a physical yeah. projection so like yeah, yeah. you're right i i do like the the pinocchio example a lot especially with the mingling at lunch like oh mm. yeah i'm carrying a dish of food i'm even watch me eat it yep mm, yummy like <laughs> <laughs> hello fellow fleshy humans right um <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway uh she says i do like have a plan to kill everyone with oh, a manic right. grin which was great i could i could like just see it and hear it and it was fantastic but also totally creepy which is i guess you know what was intended yeah so it worked and it gets a loyalty increase mm-hmm. and i bet if june just said oh yeah it's gonna do a school shooting on my way my next trip into town she probably would have gotten to level seven but <laughs> uh, i'm giving her maybe not enough quite quite enough credit there but uh yeah yeah she, she's she's not quite a monster but she, she enjoys when people get her sense of humor well Okay, now this sounds superhumanizing. She she likes it when people get her. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a yeah, right? Yeah, that that sounds super relatable. Um, it, yeah, he gets to level seven by kissing her ass and saying, "Hey, I tell you what, you know, if we find anything else that we can, uh, you know, we'll take some of this money and go shopping, head shopping, and see if we can find something to make you a more effective house." Mm. And, um. Like that, that immediately gets a loyalty bump, and then he gives her like a compliment. Another one, just treating her like a person seems to be yeah. doing it. I'm hoping. I was thinking, I was hoping that like level ten would be like, I don't know, skill unlocked, compassion, right? Mm. Um, or penance stare, which was like Ghost Rider's mm-hmm. thing. Oh, good. I'm glad you got mm-hmm. the reference. Yeah. Um. So, uh, it, but level ten is a you know always a boon for the uh the companion so that was never going to be anything quite like that but maybe level 20 will be like hey she now has a great understanding of your squishy human feelings or something right yeah that would be awesome for her because level 20 is more of a synergy deal mm-hmm. yeah all right oh i guess never mind june and valencia didn't synergize with her level 20 uh she got to be true. she got to be a dementor at level 20 well maybe she could eat his soul and then they'd be synergized hey speaking of that's that's you know sh- that's going to happen with Bethel here shortly, right? Mm, well, we're jumping the gun a little bit. I know. Do you want to jump to that? No, no. We'll, okay, we'll, okay. We'll save it. Okay. Uh, last end I wanted to bring up. I know I've been pulling out a lot of these. Um, she has a dagger that says, hey, this will hurt everyone in line of sight when you stab yourself. Yeah. And I'm thinking he has twice the blood of a normal person, so he can afford to lose twice as much, and he can heal quickly. 
Mm-hmm. And as I was typing that, I was like, he could kill a whole room. And I was like, wait, shit, he could kill like a battalion of soldiers with this thing. Anyone in line of sight. Yeah. Like it doesn't yeah. even say that he has to be looking at them, just that they're in line of sight of him. Yeah. Like not, not even like making eye contact or whatever. He could be standing on a mountaintop looking at an army and slit his throat and just watch them all collapse while he rapidly heals. Oh, well, although it says it's a dagger that hurts everyone in line of sight when you stab yourself, it doesn't say it mimics the wound you did. That's so true. maybe, yeah, maybe it's just kind of painful, but it doesn't actually do the thing you did to yourself. Still, if he was standing on the, the hilltop while his army was engaging the enemy army and he kept stabbing himself. <laughs> right. And Be a heck they, of a distraction. Yeah, they kept buckling over in pain briefly. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Oh, great. I'm not the only one talking about all the cool toys that she brought. Yeah, I pulled out one in Tad, which was the book that shows you your own thoughts. And uh, he decides he doesn't really like it when he... Uh, it starts showing him thinking about Fen and what true love is and whether he truly loved her and all that stuff. And yeah, I thought I thought that was a good call on his part that he closed it and didn't like the book. I don't think I would have liked it either. And uh, nobody nobody really needs to know that deeply about their own neuroses. Just get that shit out of here. Well, on the plus side, no one else can read it, even when it's open, right? So yeah, right. But it's just yeah, for I, you. Uh huh. I feel Still like not good. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to have this constantly displayed in my heads up display, you know, all day, every day. But I feel like for a good meditative session, you know, I, I feel like I'm good at looking at the thoughts I don't want to look at. Mm-hmm. You know, if something springs up and I look away from it, like I have trained the reflex to know that I'm flinching away from a thought and I can't know what I'm flinching away from without knowing what it is. Mm-hmm. And so I think being able to have that recorded, it'd be, I think it'd be great for like a, meditative session for trying to sort some shit out or something right but like you already know everything you think and maybe there's just something yeah. about like seeing it written down where it like feels more real so like every doubt that creeps in or whatever because that's, that's that was his whole thing you know was yeah. i in love with fen well you know we didn't know each other that long is true love even really a thing like those aren't the thoughts that you would be having unless you're feeling particularly neurotic like if someone was writing down all your thoughts right i think it's just a good way to spiral into neuroticism yeah i still feel like i want to try it <laughs> okay (laughs) but maybe maybe i would decide that it's not for me yeah all right so moving on to another thing that bethel does that's horrible oh yeah so this is this is uh i think it's i mean it's her sense of humor she's not doing it for a sexual gratification thing but she is doing it for the horrible power trippy reasons so i don't know if this counts as the worst thing that she's done to the group or not but Mm -hmm. uh it's also kind of funny from a certain point of view if you take out the horror part of it which you're supposed to with bethel um so like she says if if i find out that you don't actually care for me i'll cut off your penis and which sounded like a joke right at first well i know how fond you are of it which like is hilarious because it sounds like a robot thing to say yeah i I feel like bender has said said the exact same thing to fry at some point (laughs) Uh, right and so she's like i'm very serious and she's wearing tiff's body he's like yeah sure you are and then he felt a grip there quite firmly just for a moment and yeah. she says, ah, I wasn't expecting that reaction. Right. And like, so, um, you she know, grabbed him by the penis. She, well, yeah. And, and he had a physical response to it, which, mm-hmm. you know, is he, he justifies and for some reason feels embarrassed about it. Um, and then of course she goes, she says, and she went and told everybody and he seems more embarrassed by that. And I'm like, no, nah, man, you know, like telling people that you just assaulted somebody makes you look like an asshole, not them. Um, yeah. so I don't know if I, I feel like just talking about Bethel, this whole chapter is making me hate her a little less. So 
my comment here isn't quite as on the like as poignant, but like I I was wondering if I was the only one who really hated her, but now I hate her a little less. It, I, I mean, I, I sorry, go ahead. She doesn't come off good in these chapters. She even when she makes a joke, she has to punctuate the joke by molesting the person she's joking with. It's uh, it's not a good look. Yeah. And she does know that, like, it's a violation, right? Because she, she knows that much of humans. And yet mm-hmm. she's not getting, like, any sort of sexual thrill out of it because that's not how she works. Right. You know, it might as well be, like, kind of like pulling a dog's tail, which is still really rude. You should never do that. But, like, you know, it. I guess I'm I'm kind of thinking of it, maybe not pulling, but I don't know, whatever, right? Like, not yeah. hurting the dog. She didn't hurt June. She just kind of, you know, messed with them. Yeah. So, like, you know, she could have just as well flicked his ear or something that'd have been funny right right um but yeah i don't know it's uh the the nonchalance with which like she just like again casually does it she doesn't even use like the tiff hand right she just does it with her mind like oh yeah that reminds me i you know i can feel your junk all the time and anytime i want i can rip it off like so a that's horrifying and b you know you're gonna act like you're feeling weird when you just groped me come on get out of here Hmm. Anyway, so June had a response to her uh, reaction there. Um. Oh yeah. He he says. Uh. Uh. Yeah. He says. Like you said, the excuse. I left to a lot. You're wearing her body. Look. Let's forget that this was ever a thing. And she says that might be hard because I just told the entire house. I was like, Oh my fucking god! No, she didn't. Don't. Don't. What are you doing? And then she cackles and a, a laugh booms through the house. And she's like, I'm kidding. Ha ha. And I was like, Oh my god this this fucking house right here and that i i could i could see just your <laughs> the bethel score in your head plummeting with every single sentence here did, did did your bethel score go down it did but like i could see just the dials flying <laughs> you know so that you can't even see the numbers they're blurring together yeah that's fair uh that that's that's an accurate portrayal of my read when i was going through it uh yeah. again if i put myself in my house shaped shoes and like again the pinocchio example really helps i can kind of like you know okay i i can kind of i don't know i don't want to say like be fine with it because i'm not but like i don't know because i i feel like i can't give myself the excuse well she's a house she's not a person we can't expect her to act like one right mm-hmm. because well we can do that but then we then we get to use the other side of the coin and say she's not a person we don't have to treat her like one yeah right like if, if if it's if it's not wrong for her to grab her uh house guests uh genitals then it's not wrong for them to rip up her floorboards yeah and i feel like no man this is just you know these are like my floorboards you leave them alone unless i ask right <laughs> right that's my yeah, no, area. I, I agree yeah <laughs> she she made a joke earlier about being able to she like just throws casually a line at palada that she tastes good mm-hmm and like i i it just are like i don't know what part of her she was tasting you know interpret away um yeah but in in general it's just a, an unnerving thing to say like oh yeah i forgot like i have exactly no privacy mm-hmm. and i don't know I, if I bethel like... enjoys taste well she says it tastes good which i, mean, I guess I think means she's that you just can get... saying that to fuck with people that's probably true yeah because i was gonna say you could get petty revenge on bethel by farting like you know <laughs> a lot or onto yeah. things or not flushing the toilet or something, you know, but mm. I doubt her senses work just like humans. Like, I mean, yeah. or rather that her, what she finds enjoyable. Yeah. 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 I liked your comment that that was a 
another meaning for Princess Bubblegum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't put it in the show notes because uh, <laughs> it's. I, I I think the next line that I put on, I was like, "Is that worse than the deer fucking joke?" I think it was. <laughs> They, they. I don't know. The deer fucking was probably a little worse, but uh. yeah, I will. We'll let we'll let the histories decide. Um, okay. So, oh, so she she, gets- she doesn't she doesn't apologize for this. She apologizes later, right? Um, um, oh no, wait. Yeah, she does. Yeah. So I I can't believe I didn't pull that out. I thought she apologized later on when she does another huge faux pas. Um, no, she he explains and she says, "Look, I'm kidding about telling people," and she transforms back into the Bethel shape and says, she's sorry. And when June forgives her, she gets uh, level 10 and um, the passive skill full house. Um, Oh, I did pull that quote out. I'm just blind. Um, I put it out of order. Uh, So I, she gets a lot back from me for that apology. Um, You know, she doesn't quite know what she's doing. Like she does know that this, you know, will offend him and be whatever. But mm-hmm. I don't. Since she's not a person, she doesn't quite grasp where they're coming from. She's like, "Oh, okay. I meant to meant to cross the line. I didn't mean to cross it that far." Mm-hmm. Okay, my you know, she doesn't have to say sorry because they can't do anything to her, right? Mm-hmm. She yeah. could just she could just say, "Ha, you know, get fucked. Beat I don't me. care." Yeah, but yeah. she does. Yeah, so good on her for whatever yeah. it's worth. Um, but the the cool thing is, like, as soon as she hits level ten, she unlocks full house, which allows her to use part or all of any of the intents that are within her without having to eat them, as long as they are within her. And she like has this glowing look of awe and joy on her face, and she starts floating, and she says, "I don't have to take their senses." And I imagine also at this point she gets the uh, sensorium uh, controlling effects from oh, the yeah. pad. Yeah, that earlier she was drooling over. And I just, I felt really good for her that something good happened to her. And like, it's almost like she's had this chronic pain her entire life of having all these senses that she can't deal with. And she's had to work with it. And then all of a sudden, like, that pain has been taken away. And I mean, I I, I can also kind of see why when I suddenly got the chronic pain thing after my back injury, I was a lot more grumpy more often, too. And she could just be really grumpy all the time because of this chronic pain she's dealing with. And then it just goes away. And I was like, Oh man, that's so awesome for her. And I feel good for her for that. I do too. I feel like if we got a nice disposition change in her, that would have been nice, but unfortunately we don't. Um, She does leap into the air and then flies down the hallway. Like a Banshee Mm -hmm. uh, is the the line, which seems totally appropriate. Um, You're right. I, when you, when you elaborated on your, your comment there, because I thought that like, you know, I, I, I didn't, I never got the impression that she minded destroying an artifact forever so she could consume its power. Right. Yeah. Um, what the part that she minded was like, and now I can, you know, smell everyone's butthole all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't, she doesn't enjoy that part, but now she can turn that off. Now farting on her won't be good revenge. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> truly the tragedy of this group of chapters. Right. <laughs> Can't um, fart on Bethel anymore. Yeah, well, I guess you can sneak the bracelet out of the house sometime. <laughs> okay. That can be like their their stick for her now going forward, yeah. right? Yeah. Um but yeah, so that's kind of cool. Um it's a drag that she gets this of course after she ate the backpack and mm-hmm. the any well, I guess the any blade was a sacrifice, but he's getting by on getting by fine without it. Yeah. I guess cuz they haven't been in combat since, have they? No, have they? Not that uh, comes to mind. 
I mean, they they were in combat with all the people. No, they totally were with the whole group that killed Fen. Like that was oh, a bunch of combat. Yeah, those. Yeah, I forgot about that. So yeah, yeah the, the Anti Blade might have actually really helped fighting whatever Korg, right? Yeah, could have. Yep. Yeah, but you know the backpack and what was the other thing that she took? Um, mm, backpack and Blade. I don't remember what the third thing was. It wasn't something that it wasn't that important. The third thing. I can't remember either. Yeah. In any case, um, so yeah, she gets all all the perks of all the stuff in the house. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. And then she disappears to go enjoy them. And uh, June walks up to Grack because he needs to talk with Grack now that they have this uh, enough obols to pay, get him the rest of his gold. Yeah, this whole thing was a bummer. This was, I, I think I made a lot of an, uh, comments in my long form notes about June is having a conversation with June of one year ago right now. Yeah. And it's going about as well as it would have. It's a bummer because I feel like he could have done better. Mm. Um, and he feels like he could have. But the thing is, he doesn't do the things that he knows that I feel like he could have done. I'll I'll lay that out succinctly when it comes up. But um, anyway, depressed crack is a bummer. So, yeah, I'm actually I'm interested in what you think he could have done. But I guess we'll get there when we get to that. We will. Uh, Grack says early on that he envies the way you are with Amaryllis, uh, your partners. And. Like thinking back on it after he said that, I think I kind of agree. Like it's mostly when anything needs to get done, it's June and Amaryllis working together, right? Like Grack and Fen just sort of had maybe they would throw in a suggestion or two, but they weren't working on it. Valencia and Solace certainly weren't key members. It was the two of them driving everything. Yeah. And I, I so I guess like I get why they're more partners than anyone else on the team. And Grack isn't like making an effort to insert himself into the conversation and they mm-hmm. would listen to his input. Right. Yeah. Um, he's got all the awesome paranoia of a professional warder. Right. When they were talking mm-hmm. about uh, master stranger protocols, when uh, they were being illusion magic, he was following Amaryllis when they're trying to figure out a cipher or something. Right. Mm-hmm. So he totally could contribute. It's just, he's not motivated to. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, I guess we're kind of more partners because we're the two making decisions. If you want to make some decisions, man, we're open to it. And he's like, nah, fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that is that is highlighted by this next flashback that comes through. I like I didn't get it at first what the point of this flashback was, but like near the very end of it, uh, I think it's one of the last sentences, was uh Arthur walked away to talk to someone else. Uh, this is uh the whole um mock trial thing that Juna signed up for but wasn't excited about. He says, I looked down at my legal pad, wondering how much I was going to keep up the charade of caring about something that didn't really interest me. Then we get the line break, and then it's followed up with, you don't want to save the world? I asked. There's judge- no judgment there, I quickly added, to Grack. And, like, I am really glad that the very... The line was, how long am I going to keep up the charade? And then the very next line was, so you don't want to save the world? Because... I, I'm not sure I would have got it if Wales wasn't there to bonk me in the head saying like Grack doesn't want to save the world and he's thinking about how long he can keep up the charade of caring about something that he doesn't care about at all because he doesn't care about anything right now. He's super depressed. Yeah, I'm glad that you were there to give me a second bonk because I sat there and I was like, I wonder what the point of this flashback was. Like, mm. I it gave me some character moment for Arthur, you know. it. I understood that it was talking vaguely about, you know, dealing with somebody who's uninterested, but it, it didn't articulate for me. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks dude. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it's, it's always hard when you're writing, like you never know what is, is so obvious that you're, that your reader's going to be like, Oh my God, 
You're laying it on with a trowel, dude. Stop dropping all these dumb anvils. And other times, you think you're just being so freaking obvious with something. You're like, look, I'm laying it all out right there. Jim Carrey is Adam. The director is God. <laughs> and the audience is like, I don't I don't get it. What are you trying to say, man? <laughs> like, like uh, I, I don't think that's a good example because I did get it. But there's there's times where, like, the author, you, we, I mean, in Writer's Workshop, and that is one of the things that more than anything else people are asking about uh, when they're trying to make subtle illusions. It's like, did you guys get this? Was I being too subtle or too obvious? And it's half the time, it's the opposite of what you thought it would be. So it's hard to do. That sounds like a really hard line to walk. Yeah. And the thing is, is you know, you picked up on this and I didn't. I feel like there's no sweet spot. Well, there's probably a sweet spot where some sufficient percentage of people get it, right? Yeah. If one person gets your reference, then they're going to be just a crazy person who's reading too much into it, right? Mm-hmm. But some some critical threshold. Uh, yeah. I, anyway, I'm glad, you know, if he's there to give you an extra bonk, I'm glad you gave me uh, a third bonk to remind me or to, well, to bring the point home. Yeah. Well, speaking of bonks and bringing points home, <laughs> um, he uh, June says, it took me a long time to see why you might have been happy for Falter to alter your values. I get it now. Um, and <laughs> Grax says, congratulations. And then he winced again. And you said you did too yeah congratulations like oh shit like like when he says i winced i'm like even just like reading again like yeah damn dude that stings um you know i i'm trying trying to relate to you on this and you know uh this was hard for me to say this must have been hard for you to go through and you you know this is exactly again what june would say right Mm -hmm. what sad june would have said rather yeah yeah it's like congratulations good for you It's like, well, but I, I pulled it. Like, I didn't tell you because I was stoked that I figured it out, crack. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but the the reason I originally pulled this out was the whole, you know, I saw why you might have been happy to have a fault or alter your values. Um, we talked about that uh, back in, in after the falter got killed and he was talking with crack chapters and uh, we realized he was, you know, super depressed and everything. Um, and I, I, I think I drove us to that place in the conversation and when i did that i did not remember that this line was in this conversation between him and Grack in this chapter but like obviously it stuck with me and now i'm wondering if this line had not been included if on a reread if i would have said that same thing that i had said to you about volator changing his values gave him a purpose when he was purposelessness like at the time i was like yeah I, i read this book earlier i i see how this works that like i didn't know this at the time but grack was super fucking depressed and this helped him and i'm gonna like bring that up so we can have a conversation about it and then i'm rereading this chapter and i'm like oh my god the thing i said was literally in the text <laughs> <laughs> and do have i actually been doing any analysis at all this whole time or have i just been regurgitating things that that alexander wales has said later in the text and forgotten about it like, oh. how much of this is original insight by me and how much is just me forgetting that i've been spoon-fed it how much of it is just raw ass thoughts and how much of it is yeah being spoon-fed i i haven't finished the book yet so i can't be sure but you've you've said several things that sound super original so far so um, okay i i mean even just the last one about explaining where that uh that flashback came into play um Unless June goes back in 30 chapters and explains <laughs> that flashback, then you get credit for it, right? 
Okay, um, well, I guess I get one yeah. thing. No, I think I think you're getting them all the time. And the thing is, like, yes, maybe it was somewhere in your brain or whatever, but like, it it wasn't. Uh, I I see I see what you're you're angling at, but don't take away too much credit from yourself. Sure, but like this, I think I'm pretty sure this isn't the first time it's happened. Um, but this might be like the second, possibly even third time something like this has happened, where I'm like, oh, that wasn't that original to me after all. And like now, I'm just I'm. It's very eye opening. I'm getting this peek into brains and how how they, they most of it is just regurgitating and running old scripts and stuff. And it's very hard to get anything new and original. And it, it makes. I mean, I know we said this before about with uh, Arthur, how he had such a huge advantage just having bringing in ideas like Richard Dawkins meme, an idea that propagates itself like very easy idea to grasp once someone tells you about it. You're like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. But like it wasn't thought of until the 1970s, 1980s or something by a fucking genius who like it, it doesn't seem like it would take thousands of years of human development and a genius to come up with it. And yet it did. And once it's out there, it's it's easy to pull back. And it just seems like any amount of originalities must be incredibly hard and rare. I guess two quick comments on that. One, you asked earlier, like, why doesn't anyone think of reverse causality? Like, it's the mm. most, like, you know, straightforward guess of when you're confused. <laughs> like, have I considered that time might be running backwards on this one? Um, yeah. So, but, like, because it's because that idea is in your mind somewhere, it, you can picture things working out that way. But I mm. get why, you know, uh, you know, Paladin hasn't, for example. Um, but as far as, like, you know, originality and whatever, you, you have written books stories and you do writers workshops where like you give analysis in real time for things you've only read once so you don't get i'm not going to let you give yourself zero points on this exam <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll, I'll take a 40 percent. still an f mm, we'll see we'll let the audience judge okay but yeah when you said the the the, the line i winced again uh, after he said congratulations mm. and june saying yeah i wasn't saying the right things like I kind of got the impression that Grack is getting the sense that June's trying to say the right things, and maybe that's part of the problem. But I also think that's like really uncharitable to June because when you're trying to connect to someone because you see they feel bad and you're trying to help them, it's it's natural to feel like you're fucking up the conversation if the other person isn't responding, even if you're not there for purposes of game points. Yeah, I think what's fun, well, fun, what's insightful about this for June is that he's saying, I wasn't saying the right things. Because he's saying the same, he's making the same kinds of noises people made at him when he was depressed. Yeah. And he's like, and I know that didn't work. Like, what am I yeah. even saying here? It's not working on Greg because it didn't work on June. And yeah. if we're going to lean into like the, you know, his companions are reflections of him. Like, Greg is depressed June. Mm -hmm. And you can't treat depressed June with like the same shit that people came into your room when you were sitting there staring at the ceiling being sad. And like, try and give him a pep talk or whatever. Granted, he's not yeah. doing that. He's trying to reach out, but he's doing it in ways that, I mean... Like you maybe, said, they never worked for him. Yeah, they never, worked, they never worked for him, so he shouldn't have tried them. Like, he should have tried yeah. something else, maybe. But I think, to be fair, like, it's not impossible that the point here is that, like, literally nothing you can say will help. Okay. You know, especially if, if he's as deep down as June was. You know, the yeah. second that he gets close enough for Grack to feel anything, Grack's going to just retreat further. Yeah. So it's kind of tough. Um, puts him in a tight spot. It does. Yeah. Is that what you were say, uh, saying earlier about stuff that June should have, could have said? 
No, it's right after the next line here. Grack says, so Grack was going to invite that guy that he had that booty call with on the train. Um, yeah. Or that one night stand, I guess. Yep. Oh, yeah, he did. And then the guy said, no, I'm not going to move with you to your island. We just hooked up. Um, yeah. And it's sad. Like, Grack says, it was it was foolish of me to invite him. Desperate. And then June thinks it was desperate, but I could relate to the desperation, that feeling of needing someone for validation, of wanting a friendship that I could cling to for some sense of purpose and worth. A and, relationship that I could cling to. Oh, yeah. What did I say? A person? A friendship. Oh, yeah. Relationship. Um, and so what I was – the thing that I think June could have said was that. He oh. said it to us. You know, he could he could have just said those words to Grack. And I don't know if that would have worked. So, you know, like if Grack would have just retreated further, right? Yeah. But – you know, huh. all June, all June might've done there is like nod. Um, yeah. and, oh yeah. He says, ah, you know, I don't think it was foolish to make a try for happiness. Um, but he, he could have just been like, look, man, I've been there. I did the same thing. Let me, let me talk to you about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then he, that would have been a great opener for like, and by the way, I also tried to kill myself and it, you know, I'm glad mm-hmm. I, I'm glad it was unsuccessful and I'm hoping that I can get that through to you. Right. Yeah, totally. Uh, my my dangling thought on that was that so in the next chapter it was it was apparent that June is going to go to the library soon and alone. Mm-hmm. And so when I was reading that and then like he leaves the room here right after this, I know you had one comment before that, but um I my semi-confident prediction is that when he gets back, Grack will have bailed and he's on his way to whatever Diral Idrid or something. Mm-hmm. So may, maybe Grack will have like, I think that might be the next thing he has to do when he gets back. Like, June, finally, you're fucking back. Grack's been gone for two days. We need to go find him. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, you had a, another comment about seeking, you know, validation and wanting a relationship and all that stuff. Yeah, for some sense of purpose and worth. I, Upon reading that, I felt slightly less upset at June about the whole Maddie thing because, okay, I kind of get it. He was desperately clinging on to a relationship for some sense of purpose and worth, but it was still shitty of him to do. So still pretty upset at June, but I, I understand a little bit, I guess. And also uh, some people in the discord pointed out that they thought that Maddie went home crying after she broke up with him, not after they had sex, which uh, I guess makes sense too. And also makes me feel not as upset at June if that's the case. So but still, he was a fucking douche. I feel like I said the same thing you know, about him wanting, I guess I didn't put it as succinctly, but that, you know, he wasn't doing this to be a dick. It was because he was desperate for any sort of companionship. Right. Yeah. But hearing him say it, it's different than me psychoanalyzing and giving the best version. Right. Yeah. Um, And also at that point, I was just still so like upset at what he'd done. It was very fresh at the moment. Totally. Um, But it's a bummer. So when, after that whole, you know, you know, I was desperate for inviting that guy thing. Grack just switches back to English and is like, I'm done talking. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, uh, then I'm going to go find Bethel now. You know, my door is open. And he's like, yeah, I know. Bye. And mm-hmm. it sucks. Um, so this line here too, like right after he says, I felt like I'd fucked things up, but I didn't know what more I could have done. I had been on the other side of this fence so many times before, shutting down people who had come to, come to me trying to help. I was still hurting from the loss of Fen, but I wanted to be better, damn it. I just had no idea how. I didn't even know what I could have said that would have helped me when I was like that. I didn't I don't know what I was supposed to say to Grack. And so it's entirely probable, probably it's probably just true that if someone were to come into his room, you know, June's room a year ago or Grack's room now, 
and say, dude, I've been there. And it's like, great, cool. You know, glad you have. Good for you, right? Mm. Maybe literally nothing would have worked. I was thinking he could have tried just expressing the thoughts that he just told only to us to Grack. But the more I think about where Grack's at, I don't think anything would work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Speaking of things not working, this is terrible. Mm. So Bethel shows back up because he was kind of worried. She wasn't responding to like, hey, where you at, Bethel? Um, Oh, I was exploring my new abilities and I have some news. And yeah, yeah, Ropey and I are getting married. No! I'm glad your comment was basically the same as mine. Yeah. I, I, that's the last line in that chapter. And the next chapter explains what she means by that at the beginning of an open book. By married, Bethel apparently meant, I am going to irrevocably swallow him and our essential natures will merge. And yeah, my, my comment was also ropey. No! <laughs> that is so much worse than, than just getting hitched, right? Yeah. I don't even know. Like, I, I, just, I didn't like the idea of them formally dating, which is what them being married would be, right? But no, I'm going to eat him. Like, no, that's so much worse. I can't believe <laughs> right? this. If yeah. we don't get to see Ropey tell us in his own words that that's what he wants, I'll never not hate Bethel. And even then, like, I want to be eaten. It's... <laughs> you don't give in to somebody's wish to be eaten. Did even you... if it is what they want. Did you read uh, that Douglas Adams short story? The cow that uh, comes with the, the this is what my flank is and all that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, I don't remember if I've actually read it or just read pieces of it or been told about it, but I, I'm familiar with it. I listened to him read part of it, I think. Okay. Um, and I, I think it was some feline for some reason, but it doesn't matter. But the point is, it's the animal. It's like, oh, no, try some here off the flank. It's really good. Mm. And it's like, it's it's the animal that it wants you to cut into it to eat it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's weird. Also, I linked uh, in the show notes here. I, I bet you recognize the URL. I, I'm assuming it's the Darth Vader no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> it's no with like 10 O's. Mm. It's just a it's just a button that you get to click. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, I, I don't have feelings. I don't have good feelings about this wedding. No, I don't either. And Amaryllis is in favor. Apparently, she wants to temper Bethel and thinks that Ropey would be a good influence on her makeup. Which I think is some cold ass thinking on Amaryllis's part. I mean, it might be accurate. It might be uh, that Amaryllis recognized that there's nothing that she could do to stop Bethel. Literally nothing. So, mm. you know, she might as well say, of course, I'm in favor of it. And mm. if she's in favor of it, then Bethel's not in favor anymore. So she has to give <laughs> some Slytherin reason why she's okay with it. Um, yeah. Also, Bethel's telling us what Amaryllis said. And I'm not, I'm not going to be convinced that she's giving a fair account of anything Amaryllis says. Yeah, but June can just talk to Amaryllis. That's not going to be a lie that lasts for very long. No, but Bethel lies, you know, I don't know. She, yeah. It, it's easy to check, but yeah, I don't see why she would. Amaryllis might, will, will probably be like, I didn't put it quite that way. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and it's entirely possible, too, that like um, Bethel just inferred that accurately, but still. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting that uh, June at this point. Yeah, you said this earlier in this episode that uh, June had tried to talk with Ropey before, but not gotten anywhere. And there was a limited amount of social labor he was willing to put in when he was getting nothing back in return. With Ropey, the rope would just basically say "K" or "Yeah" or you know that that kind of stuff. When you try to engage with a sullen teenager, and they're just like "K, sure, yeah." And like I, upon reading that, I thought that maybe we were a little too hard on June earlier for not engaging with Ropey, like a full party member, if that's all he got. Especially because Ropey's always hanging around right there and could just, like, say things. 
Yeah, he could chime in. I mean, even like a dog will occasionally buy for attention, right? Like, yeah. Ropey didn't act sapient. He acted like a loyal robot. Like, yeah. Which, you know, he's still an adorable and sweet, good natured robot, and Bethel's going to fucking eat him. But, yeah. Um, I, you know, so I, I don't give June. I was never on like the hate train for like, you should have been more personing to Ropey. You know, I felt like Ropey got all the person treatment that he wanted. Mm. You know, Bethel's on another level. And so, you know, Bethel relates to Ropey the way that like we relate to dogs. And I use that analogy because that's how Bethel, uh, that's the analogy Bethel uses for June. Yeah. He's like, thanks, I'll, I'll miss him. And she's like, you'll miss him like you'd miss having a dog. And he's like, okay, well, congratulations. And she says, mm-hmm. thanks. And a frosty response. And I'm like, what? She's pissed that he's not stoked that she's going to eat, in her words, his fucking dog. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Yeah, get fucked, house. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Why do they keep her around, man? I guess she's a fortress. So I, right. I, I got to feel there's a less troublesome fortress out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, this one isn't sentient and can protect us that well, but it won't cut our dicks off. So <laughs> that's a big point in favor. Yeah. I, I'm pretty fond of it. <laughs> All right. So um, we cut to, uh, I think, um, I think Amaryllis. Oh yeah. Amaryllis is in the room, but it's really just June and Matt or Maddie. Oh man, I slipped up. I hope he doesn't slip up and has to explain it to her. Oh, June man. and Raven are talking and Amaryllis is still expressing the same kind of like, uh, well, what if he levels up when he's out at the library alone and no one's there to babysit? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Raven rolled with the punches of, you know, what was it yesterday that she learned about, you know, leveling up and character sheets and all this nonsense. And mm-hmm. she pulls out the character sheet that she got a copy of and points to spirit. Hey, look, you have spirit unlocked. Uther used Uther described it as a companion or counterpart to soul magic. And to answer your second question, it's not something that we often use the library for, but it's possible that you might be able to learn spirit from a book. Uther did that more than once. Um, So she thinks that spirit might be part of the solution to whatever happens to his soul when he levels up. Yeah. That's pretty badass if that's the case, because then I guess he won't be in constant fear of leveling up. Yeah. That said, I have no idea what spirit does. Um, I'm kind of, you know, I don't know how, like, you know, how disentangled your thoughts can be from what you know spirit magic to be. Um, uh-huh. But there was some line about how, like, oh, no, if the soul is the book, then spirit magic is the pen, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a cool metaphor, but I still don't know what it does. Uh, <laughs> right. And so, you know, is it like mind magic? But a, it's not clear what that would mean, and B, that sounds overpowered as hell. Um, so, like, doing more soul stuff than just body, values, memories, and some personality. Like, we talked about how the reason that he couldn't just shove that Fen soul into a meat suit and get a new Fen is because it only contains part of her personality. Yeah, it but almost it, sounds like this might fill in the cracks or something. But if it did, Uther would have had both of these skills at some point, and he didn't run around resurrecting people. No, he didn't. So I guess it couldn't really be a full compliment then. Yeah, unless, you know, they only made the Horcruxes and who has it like soul level 100. So maybe yeah. maybe Uther didn't keep his skills that high for long enough to make backups of everybody. Um, or so maybe ma- like you have to get soul and spirit to 100 and able to be actual, do full real resurrection. Yeah, something like that could definitely be the case. I wonder um, 
I mean, if that's the case, then hey, we've got our recipe for for saving Fen. But Hell as yeah. it is, I don't really have a good guess about what spirit magic does. Um, you know, the best I could think of would be like there's there's nothing I could think of that I couldn't do with soul magic. So, do you have any guesses? Um, not really. Yeah. Just I mean, it's spirit and soul sound very similar, so something similar. They really do, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, essentialism is like the platonic thing, right? Um, or I guess that's Platonism, but I think essentialism is kind of that. Um, mm-hmm. And there's that's not really what essentialism is. It's soul magic, and it, maybe it's what's it is what is essential to a person, and soul I mean, is the rest. It's so vague, and we have so little to go on. It's just on the, it's hard to say anything, really. Yeah. On the plus side, he gets a quest for it, so at least you can be pretty darn sure he'll learn it. Hell yes. Yeah. Accepted. Quest accepted. As the spirit moves you, there are no spirit mages left alive. The art has been dead for some 500 years, and Uther was the one to kill it. The Mm. books have all been destroyed since long ago. There's one place where books can never be entirely removed from. Once you find an entrance to the infinite library, you might be able to find the lost power. Excellent. So, yeah, that's that's pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, So apparently they have to go to a library to warp the infinite library. So Bethel takes them to this new badass library she made now that she can use the bottles magic since the bottles with inside her to make spaces inside her arbitrarily bigger on the inside than they are on the outside. That's pretty fucking cool. It's Harry's Uh, trunk on steroids. Yes. That's that's why Uh, that's why I liked the Vera Evans thing. Plus the book obsession with the family motto. Yeah. So that's the rest of my my joke name for the episode. But she also, uh, half the library is filled with earth books and, uh, not Uther, uh, uh, June is like, that, that seems kind of dangerous. And she says, because you're worried about Shia LaBeouf. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Which is the same reaction she has or he, June has. And she's like, no, no, it's fine. I can say it. I tested it. I tested it while you were gone at speculation scrutiny. It stands to reason that I wouldn't be able to trigger it given that I'm not a person. This fucking bitch right here. What the hell, man? First of all, you you can't just say that in front of someone. You're going to give them a goddamn heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad you had the same reaction I did. Um, I was like, I don't even know what to say. She can't be allowed to live or marry Roby. Quick, kill her with fire. Um, <laughs> but yeah. The thing is, she so she lets him panic for a second. And then she's like, it's fine. I tested it. And I'm like, what did you test? Did you yeah. test that you can say it alone in your empty house? Did you test that if somebody we don't we don't even know if somebody says the name summons it? Maybe someone has to hear it, and it can be the person saying it, right? Mm-hmm. But like maybe the person who said it is one hundred percent deaf. Uh, they maybe that wouldn't work, right? Maybe someone has to perceive the name. Yeah. Like, did she test that? If she didn't, she's an idiot. If she did, she's a monster. <laughs> it means that she walked into town or brought somebody to the house, be like, "Hey, let me tell you this thing," and see if so- someone shows up to rip you to pieces. Yeah. And what would she have done if Shia LaBeouf had shown up and started ripping up her precious floorboards? I don't even know. Yeah. It's, God, it I mean, was so fucking stupid of her. It was, it was stupid and mean and, and a good joke if you're Voldemort. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. Like, just the fact that, like, I tested it. How, you, you just tested it because it stood to reason? What if Shia LaBeouf had actually showed up? I think that maybe she thinks she could have killed him and she's she might be right. But the thing is, when Amaryllis described why he was so scary, it's that he got like arbitrarily powerful. Yeah. Right? 
So it's like, well, I can cut anything that comes anywhere near me. And it's like, yeah, except for Shia LaBeouf, right? Like, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Raven corrects him and because he's like, okay, well, don't repeat what she just said. She's being, a, she's being a monster. Don't, you know, you're not in danger of thinking it. It's just saying it. She's like, ah, well, then it's not an info hazard. It's a calm hazard. Yes, and, a very different thing. Yeah. Well, I, I just like how there are subcategories of knowledge hazards, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them are dangerous to communicate. Some are dangerous to know. Some are uh, dangerous to think about. And mm-hmm. um, he's like, oh, okay, just warning you. It's uh, not quite an instant death. So but then he thinks, I have a plan and it might work. But and then we don't get to know what the plan is. Yeah. So, you know, void bombs <laughs> was my go to. <laughs> uh, I'd like to see him arbitrarily be strong enough to withstand being blown to, blown into oblivion. But. We both know how he has to be killed. How does he have to be killed? You have to chop his head off. Oh, okay. Oh, because of the song? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to have to be that way. You can't sneak up on him while he's in his cottage and stab him in his kidney. <laughs> that, That's too bad. That won't be sufficient. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, the, the other reason I'm really stoked about whatever his plan is, is because since we first learned about the whole Shia LaBeouf thing... I've wanted I've had in my mind this this image of him and his party being outgunned or outnumbered or both or whatever and him telling his party to get the fuck out of here I'm the boss teleport away and then him menacingly summoning the beast while the soon to be mm-hmm. victims look on in confusion <laughs> what are these strange words that he thinks are words of power and like why is he saying these yeah these funny syllables like with this you know shitty grin on his face and like <laughs> Do you remember, um, it's very specific, in Veroni Kenshin, when Fuji, the giant, is destroying uh, Kyoto when Kenshin's off fighting Shishio, and what's the kid's name? Uh, Enki? Something like that. No, that was the um, the last arc. Uh, oh, Ichi? Mm, doesn't matter. The kid. Okay. Um, All right. He's sitting, he's sitting there and he's saying like, I believe Kenshin will show up and he's sitting there. He's got his eyes closed and he keeps saying Kenshin's name over and over. Mm-hmm. And then Seijiro Hiko shows up like a total badass. But, um, uh, I want that. That's basically what I've been picturing. So June's sitting there just saying Shia LaBeouf's name over and over while being surrounded by certain death. And then okay. who, who shows up, but the beast himself. And obviously he'll rip the enemies to shreds on his way to June. <laughs> Yes. And then June's plan will have to come into effect. Okay. His so runaway really fast plan? No. that There's no way that's it, right? Okay. Because I, I thought about that too, right? Because then that, then that would be trivially easy to find an awesome way to destroy your enemies. You show up, you summon the beast and teleport away. Yeah. But no, he will... F- I'm sure he'll just find you, right? That's, that's true. He is Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. It might take him a while, but he will get there. He does not sleep. He does not rest. Yeah. I'm not even sure if he like travels to the, like, cause she said that he shows up like within an hour or something. And so there's no way he like travels in any traditional capacity from wherever he yeah. is to wherever someone says his name. Yeah. That's a good point. Cause the place, the, the plane's too big. So, uh, if, if you were to say his name and then like try and teleport away as like, aha, I've just bombed this area. Like, no, he's going to just come to you. Right. Yeah. There's some, there's some magic hour. involved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Anyway, I, I went on at length about that because I am desperate for that to happen. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing if it's going to happen. Oh, man. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, they use 
book magic or something to walk into a void and go into the library. Uh, this is really cool. When he goes, I guess, to the library, he gets achievement progress. Oh, the places you'll go, two out of six. And he gets a loading screen or a loading message. So, first of all, I guess it sounds like he gets an achievement for every plane of existence that he goes on. And Arab would be one, and library is another one. My guess is that, like, the Hells would be a third one, and then a bunch of the planes that they listed earlier, or later. And uh, also, that loading an entire plane of existence apparently takes a noticeable amount of time. Enough that he had a uh, loading message as he waited. Yeah, he also gets an achievement, we're not in Kansas anymore, which is a great joke from the DM, right? But, yeah. this I mean, I feel like he could have earned that immediately. Um, but... <laughs> I don't know. 64 is, you know, a computery number if we're looking for more computer codes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the thing is with the loading at this point, like, I guess we do know it's some sort of a simulation, but there's no reason to display the loading text to June. Right. right? So he's just doing it just because. So yeah, I, I just I don't really know what to make guess. of that. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the other thought that I had was that. I mean, so yeah, there's, if he's been to two of 64 prediction, he will not make it to all 64 in the course of the book. Um, that seems like a reasonable prediction. Yeah. I mean, like you said, the hells, um, maybe apparently Arab has an upside down stranger things style. <laughs> um, that might be another one. Uh, yeah. some of those planes, but even that like adds up to like maybe 20. So like we're not, or maybe, maybe 30. So we're not even halfway there. I don't know. Um, yeah. the, I, what else is I going to say about? Um, yeah, nothing. I, <laughs> I I feel like it's, you know. I think this is the most video gamey thing we've seen in a long time. Absolutely. And I think he had a thought like last chapter about how he wished the game would give him. Oh, yeah, because he said something about like, oh, I'll just have to do the impossible and do this and didn't get a quest prompt for it. Um, That's true. Yeah. Maybe that was about the spirit magic and then he got it shortly thereafter. Um, but yeah, I think maybe the DM wants to remind him like, oh yeah, don't worry. I'm still here, dude. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I think when we talked about the micro Hitler achievement, oh, and the seven keys to seven locks, that was the one Mm. where like we were discussing whether or not you have to go for all the achievements. Mm -hmm. And this one is the proof that no, we don't. Cause I don't think he'll ever get to this one. No. Getting, getting, a full Hitler achievement would have been totally doable if he went to go kill the, the Dorises, right? Yes. So that, that one was doable. So was banging all of his companions. But if this is the rate at which he's visiting planes, then no. Unless it all happens off screen on the montage and he, we get some few paragraphs of exposition about how he visited all the realms and <laughs> something, something. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mocked every single achievement out because what the hell? Why not? Yeah. Um, Anyway, so they show up at the library, and what's fun, we talked last episode, I forgot to put this in the notes, but I'm glad I remembered. I was like, why don't they just lock the doors for shift change, right? Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, it's not like this place has doors. Yeah, it people, is an entirely different plane of existence. Yeah, people enter this way, and there's no way to tell them not to come in. So mm-hmm. it didn't even occur to me that it wouldn't be a physical place. I thought it would be like a place that was just infinite on the inside and you know finite on the outside. But like you yeah. could walk to it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because that's not an uncommon thing. I mean, Bethel's got one in her house now, right? Yep. Totally. Yeah. So I, that's how I thought the library worked. It didn't even occur to me. It'd be like a, you know, not on air. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of, how the hell did they find this place? 
I, I mean, don't know. Granted, I guess if you're the DM, you're going to go through the trouble of making it. You're going to make it findable. Yeah. And Still. it was Uther that found it. So some kind of Uther bullshit. Oh, I forgot that Uther found it. Yeah. Basically, enough said then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so they show up. Uh, Raven's the boss of this place. And some of her people come up and um, they do. Uh, one of them is a halfling, not a hobbit. I don't know if, mm-hmm. you, if, th- if that jumped out at you, but maybe he was uh, thinking about really. that being published edit because you mentioned the hobbits in the tavern and you were like, those are copyrighted. He'll have to switch to halflings if he wants to publish this. Oh, so I guess the oh, saves him a control F for when he goes to print this, I guess. Or maybe there's both hobbits and halflings on Arab. That'd be annoying, <laughs> <laughs> but not impossible. Not impossible. Um, anyway, so one of the guys, Entwell, says he he seems well-armed. Coectus S? And, oh wait, sorry, uh, Entwell is a woman. She asked, her words unfamiliar. No, it's not under duress. Or, wait, no, no, it's not duress. I told you, Infohazard Standards. Anyway, I called that out because secret code phrases are tight. And I'm glad yes, it's not just are. the council that has has it. It seems like yeah. a requisite for being a cool club. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the rationalist community is, has has some jargon that I think counts. Absolutely. It's, uh, we better not think about this too much because it could be a basilisk. Eh, that was bad. No, that was fine. Um, nah. Actually, that did remind me, though, because I mis I misread uh, Um We, I think, on the air called LHC when we were reading uh, her comment last episode. Oh, yeah. Um, I think, I think. well, she told us. We, we called her a guy at some point, which I don't remember but i'm 100 sure she's right so sorry about mm-hmm. that and yeah. uh that's on us yeah um anyway we're, what are we up to next uh what we are up to next is uh the second empire detected uh within fell seeds um exclusionary zone that they found a tunnel leading somewhere else dun 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 and uh june says a, a little later if i had to make one guess as to, about to where uther went it would be back to earth uh so it seems reasonable to me that if you're going to make, if Uther's going to go anywhere at all, he's trying to get back to Earth. And if you're going to make a portal back to Earth, you're going to fucking drop the worst goddamn thing on the entire plane of Arab around it to protect it. So no one else can go there until they've beaten the final boss of the game. So uh, I don't know. Do you think it was a portal back to Earth? And if so, like, why isn't he back to Earth? Did he get hauled up along the way or killed or did he actually make it back but 40 years have passed and you know it's only been eight months for june or what's going on here i mean i'm glad that he mentioned earth because that was like the first thing i thought of um Mm -hmm. but it doesn't make sense with anything that we know like if 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 arthur had gone back to earth it could be that yeah 50 years had passed but then kind of what's the point of going back to earth right yeah um it's there there would be no uh I mean, the whole point of going back is to go back and he's dead. Um, mm. So, you know, if June goes back, he just wakes up from his nap in fifth period English. Um, it's, I, I don't think it, so earth is a great idea and I'm glad he thought about it. Cause I did, but I don't think that's it. If I had to guess and it goes somewhere dot, dot, dot else, maybe it just goes to the architect's room that June went to when he was, you know, high on soul magic the, and you get like the, the DM's office oh okay yeah. So then he can chat with the dm yeah maybe mm. but i mean 
beyond that, so I guess this is actually something you mentioned that it felt like the Felseed fight was coming up sooner rather than later. If it does go somewhere serious, like Earth or to the DM's office, then mm-hmm. uh, it I don't think it's coming up sooner rather than later. Well, then again, I also, if you'd asked me at the beginning of the book, do you think I'll meet the DM? And I'll be like, maybe in the last 10 chapters, right? Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't have a good guess. You know, I don't know when it would have dropped him back on Earth either, right? Yeah. I, I did have a, a line that I threw in and then deleted, but now I'm saying it anyway. No, man, here's where it put him. It put him back to right before Arthur, younger Arthur died. And, okay. you know, this this 40-year-old can't go hang out with his parents or his friends. What's he do? He gets depressed. He goes to a bar, gets drunk, and drives home. Who's he oh, hit? No. None other than young oh, Arthur. Uh, oh, that's awesome. I don't think that's what happened, but wouldn't that be... Because, I mean... It could only happen that way if the if the DM of Earth and Arab architected that to happen. And then, like, what's the fucking point of doing it that convoluted <laughs> other than for us, right? Yeah, because but, it's, yeah, exactly. Fucking awesome to read. And But maybe. Oh, man. There can only be one Arthur at a time. <laughs> uh, speaking of, so apparently the reason, one of the reasons that Uther is hard to find is surprisingly mundane even though it's a really cool magical artifact, it's a necklace that makes you really, really hard to detect. Yeah. Um, again, me, I'm thinking like, no, he went, he's, he's off. He's not just like wearing the cloak of invisibility. He's gone. Right. Mm-hmm. But maybe it isn't enti- like, well, anyway, Raven says that she tracked him through the very subtle clues that this necklace does leave to the gates of the fallacy exclusion zone. So, um, Maybe that was part of how he vanished. But the thing is, that doesn't hide you from the DM. Yeah. But maybe that's not the point. Maybe he wasn't, you know, he knew that there's no hiding from the DM. But as long as he was gone with a capital G, then the the narrative couldn't pull him back in because he was done. He'd made that clear. Yeah. But if anyone was like, oh, my God, Uther, thank God I bumped into you. Can you save my son from, he got captured by bandits, right? Right. So as long and as so he's, then he's back in. Yeah. But, so as long as nobody can find him, then he can't be pulled back in. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. The fun thing is if you if you really squint, well, if he's impossible to detect, he could just be walking around. He could be following June all over the place, right? That's true. He I don't could think be behind he him right now. Yeah. I'm putting less than, you know, 001% on that because I feel like he would have said something, but mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, you never know. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh that I I I I think that'd be fucking awesome. Either of those things that you came up with, those would both be awesome fingers crossed Uh, we'll find out that's right uh we are told a little bit about how the library works one of the things it does is it has every single book that was ever published within it and what counts as a book is at least 20 pages where the majority are filled with symbolic language uh the majority of the pages are bound in some fashion and there are covers surrounding the pages uh and if there has to um i guess that's true yeah oh wait are pictures symbolic language I don't know. Yeah, we'll analyze that another time. Yeah, but also at least two copies had to have been issued for consumption. Uh, and that was all to explain that like classified documents made it into this place, which I guess means that like a manila folder, if you put if you put pages in it, count as bound. Because how else would, would you get classified documents in here? Oh, yeah. If you staple them together and put them in an envelope, then they count. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's fun. I liked that pullout for two reasons. One, because June was like guessing like on an upper bound of how big this place was. 
Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, maybe a hundred times bigger than Bethel's. I'm like, come on, noob. Try like, you know, three to the third or like whatever, to the power to the power to the power of three or whatever, right? That that yeah. pretend infinite number we use with dust specs. Right. Um, but my this what I like about it, too, is that it seems to substantiate my guess that books are replaced by the Internet. Because while people still really? might write letters, maybe they'll stop writing books. Books are expensive. They're they're take time to distribute. I mean, have, have have we stopped writing books? Not entirely, but they're on their way out. I don't think they're ever going to be completely out. Plus, again, printing out a few pages and stapling them counts. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And okay. Yeah. Well, shoot. There goes that hope. Oh. You're right. It's probably just the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we mentioned the planes, and I'm going to run these up, run through these really quick because there's a theme with some of them. Um, mm. There's, I think there's like three books that he's looking at. And mm-hmm. uh, one of them is uh, history, like whatever, the guide to gem magic. When I'm like, okay, this is the infinite library. And the, one of the first three books is, he sees is when he's read. Mm. That's not a coincidence. But this one. Okay. So uh, 28 of the planes, acid, base, blood, bone, chitin, clay, earth, electricity, fire, flesh, glass, Gold, ice, iron, lava, light, magnetism, mist, rust, salt, sand, shadow, smoke, steam, stone, vacuum, water, and wood. Mm. I did that all in one sentence and I realized that they're alphabetical, but that's not what's cool. The cool thing is that a lot of those line up with known magics. Yeah. So that's kind of fun. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. Yeah. I I would bet every single... Um, every single one of these planes lines up with a magic and some of them are just unknown. Yeah. And like, you know, revision isn't on here, but like that couldn't be a plane. Well, then again, I wouldn't think acid and bases were planes either, but, um, yeah. you know, I, it does just seem like maybe that's where some of the inspiration or elements of the magic stuff is used or maybe the other way around. You mm-hmm. know, they made the magic and they're like, wouldn't it be cool if there's a whole world like this? Yeah. Anyway, it was, it was cool. Uh, another thing that I thought was really cool was that now he's trying to figure out the schema for how the books are organized. Because they got shuffled when when Raven jumps in, right? Yep. Every time anyone comes in or out, they all get shuffled in some new schema. And uh, he he's thinking that like whatever schema is at work, they're, uh, these books that he's at now, the three that he's looking at out of um, however hundreds of trillions uh, they were very similar, and it was now just splitting hairs in the final stage. Like, alphabetical organization meant that you would sort by the first letter, then the second letter, then the third, until finally these three random selected books were all next to each other, would have gotten their uh, their position by virtue of whatever was different between them. The titles themselves would be mostly the same. It would only be like the last letter or something that was different, right? Uh, here, there seemed to be nothing that the books had in common. And I just, I like that. I like the fact that his current challenge is to solve some ridiculous logic puzzle and I guess probably learn new magic to help him solve the puzzle rather than to punch the library into submission. <laughs> it's it's a cool new challenge. It would have been fun if, like, I don't know what he could have done. What I would have done if I was him, maybe my idea, because Raven's like, all right, I'm going to fuck off for a couple hours because I got stuff to do. And you're just the next Uther. I'm sure leaving you unattended in the infinite library won't cause any shenanigans. So I'll be back in a couple mm-hmm. of hours. Um, mm-hmm. And he's like, well, hopefully I'll be a master by then. And um, there's a, a line where uh, he's, oh yeah. So his, his mind kind of, so what I would have done if I was him was I was like, I would have shuffled some of the books around mm-hmm. just to kind of like get a feel. That's what she kept saying. Like get a feel for stuff. Right. Yeah. 
So yeah. I would have, I would have sorted some randomly, like, all right, what feels off here, right? Yeah. Um, but his mind anchors on, uh, like, well, hold on, similar length if you adjust for font size, maybe you know, period size, and it, it keeps adjusting, it keeps focusing on periods, right? Yeah. Three different times he thinks the word period, and then he's like, hold up a minute. Yeah. And at, I, I, in my long form comments, I commented on that because I'm like this, that long list of stuff is why I didn't even bother like trying to speculate about what the schema might be because mm-hmm. it could have been like the literal ad- amount of ink atoms in the book or yeah. the average weight of the pages divided by the total weight of the book or something, you know, it, it could be any number of things. Mm-hmm. And so i never would have guessed the number of periods in the book. And yeah. it's also like the worst way to organize something if you're trying to find anything. <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. So on the plus side, I remember when um, Heschnell used what I'm assuming to be some form of library magic or at least book magic, if those are similar, uh, to mm-hmm. summon a book to him, right? Yeah. So yeah. once he's sufficiently oh. good, he won't be running around this place looking for a book. He'll sit there with his hand out waiting for it to crash its way through the bookshelves to his hand. <laughs> Well, hopefully it makes a non-destructive path to him. You know, non-destructive, like if it if it turned corners and was cool, that would be that'd be one fun way. Also, mm-hmm. if it just smashed through rock and, and book on its way to him, I'd be fine with that too. <laughs> what well, okay, fine. It would have to magically protect the book on its way to him, obviously. Yes, yes. But yeah, if I just left a crater on its way from wherever <laughs> it was to his hand, that'd be fun. That would be pretty cool. But uh yeah, he unlocks library magic and uh, achievement unlocked, bookworm. Huzzah! Side note, I hope Bookworm is the name of a secret horrible monster that they have to fight at some point. That would be fantastic. (laughs) And it's June! Oh yeah, could be. It's Hermione Granger. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, So he ends with, my guess was there was uh, was that there on the outside, in the future, the library was sketching out some version of Amaryllis Pendrake had written a book for me. And I bet he's going to try to find it. Oh. Of course he would right and yeah. of course she would yeah so help me make sure my understanding of the library is correct he's in here mm-hmm. now so mm-hmm. nothing in the library's library nothing in the contents of the books can discuss things that like he will do outside right uh yes since he's not outside exactly so what he's going to look for is i'm guessing like hey i'm Amaryllis Pendrag, here's a book that I wrote 50 years when I was 67, mm-hmm. right? And here's all the things that happened. That and makes so sense. She, she obviously would have written it with June in mind, hoping that he found it in here. Yeah. Um, that said, I hope she published it and made a couple of copies. <laughs> <laughs> At least two. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and published was a magic word too. Um, oh, I guess it just meant make two, at least two copies. Uh, it, But it didn't mean like, you know, had to have somebody put a stamp on it or whatever. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I love the idea. Um, I don't know really what else to say other than like, he'll have to obviously find magic to summon the book rather than just stumble across it. Unless he gets really lucky. Um, mm. Honestly, he still hasn't done this. He hasn't pulled luck from bones yet. That's true. I don't think he has. I don't think he loaded up on Falter's bones before they came, but he's got the, uh, unicorn bones. Maybe they have some luck in them. Yeah. Fuck it. Maybe it's. Oh wait. Yeah, he can burn mental stats from his bones now. Yes, because he does that for wisdom. Yeah, his luck isn't that strong, but it's more than nothing. Yeah. I would sit there just juice luck for an hour and then 
sprint Hope, as fast yeah. as I could in whatever direction I felt like going in and yeah. stop and put my hand out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right, let, let's, let's guess what happens. Amaryllis does write a book and okay. it'll probably be some terrible, you know, catastrophe of how everything went to shit. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you think that before he gets any useful divinations from it, like it'll be a blank page or just a sticky note on like whatever, a legal pad from the DM that just says nope with a smiley face on it. <laughs> um, or maybe it'll just be the whole book. Like, I mean, I, I know what he actually finds and I'm having a really hard time remembering what I thought at the time. Cause I just went from this chapter right to the next chapter. I don't think I really stopped to think about it. That's fair. I'm sorry. I'm not more useful in this case. No, I, to be fair, you're doing way better than I, I mean, uh, you have a hundred percent pass from me on that. Don't worry. I've been there. <laughs> I've stayed up okay. really late reading books before because you're like, well, you know, yeah, it's only 1130. I can read two more chapters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of reading chapters, bud, uh, that brings us to the end of this one. What are we doing yes. next week? Next week, we are reading the next four chapters, 129 through 132. And those are, what? why is this not working? Hold on a sec. Let me pull it up. Okay, there we go. Uh, and those are 129 schemata 130 the abject despair of an uncaring world <laughs> prediction <laughs> 131 a cypress waits hmm. and 132 uskine neverda well or uskine nerfda yes uh no guesses on 132 okay i was gonna say the second that i saw the abject despair of an uncaring world well that sounds like amarillo's book on the apocalypse right <laughs> perhaps uh, now that i think about it a cypress waits would also be a good title for it mm -hmm. so may i would say that's grack's book but i don't think he's out writing a book i think that in the future without june he successfully commits ritualistic suicide mm. so who would have written that book val val that sounds like something emo val would have done like the thing is without without june there and yeah. not because these characters you know aren't like you know people who could actualize but just because he is the the core of the team and you know the main character mm -hmm. they won't develop without him right like as people okay. they they'll, they'll they'll live lives but grack will successfully you know be depressed val will live in abject despair in an uncaring world and <laughs> amaryllis will probably keep chasing science unsuccessfully for 50 years um mm -hmm. so like i think that I brought that up because I think that, that would be Val's book title. She won't like live on in a flourishing existence where she didn't have June, the core, the core party member to help. Like it shouldn't be this way. Cause it sounds like it's putting too much like away from the rest of the party and not enough or, and too much on June. But mm. I think that he needs to be there for them to grow. Just like they need to be there for him to grow. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I'm excited. Cool. Me too. Uh, so I look forward to talking to you about that in a week. Uh, if people like our conversations, they can go to our home site, hpmorpodcast.com, where you can get links to our Discord and go to our Patreon to give us some money, which we really appreciate because, you know, we got to eat too, homies. We can't, <laughs> we can't eat without you. That's not true. Stephen can. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm getting shafted on this house I'm trying to buy. But I'm trying to buy a house, oh. which is a very grown-up thing to say. So, Hell yeah. That's awesome. And is there anything else we always end with? Yeah, we've got to remember, uh, don't forget Alexander Wales' Patreon as well. He wrote the book. 
He That's made right. the game, and we're just playing it. Hell yeah. All right. Uh, thanks, y'all, and we'll see you in a week.